and talking to our friends. Hellboy Book Club. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. I'm Daniel. Hey, everybody. It's an all-Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy comics and hey, some books. some books. It's actually actual book club. <laughs> yeah. And every week we interact with our amazing listeners, and Danielle's here to tell you all about it. Well, we're gonna we're gonna read some some things. We're gonna read them, and we're gonna tell you what you're gonna read, and you read them too. And then we're gonna talk about it, and then you're gonna <laughs> listen to us talking about it, and then you're gonna talk about it also by sending us the email, us hey damn guys, or uh, get on the social media, talk to us that way, and then we're gonna we're gonna talk about what you talked about when you were talking about us talking about. The, what we read and then we're going to tell you what to read next time and then do that all over again and it's a book club and that's friendship back to you john oh awesome thank you so much and speaking of friendship i want to talk about our good friend and book club member ross radke yay ross radke yeah ross his Radke book club member his kickstarter for stomped issue two is live hell right now yeah. hell yeah yeah i've already signed up for one of his awesome rewards and so go check that out i'll link it in the show notes for this episode and you can also find it on our social media. I think I've linked it on there. And so it's always good to support our friends and their causes. And maybe we'll hear from Ross on a future episode. That would be great. That would be super great. And Oh, um, and it would be good to hear from him again. Hell yeah. And it's it's really tough as a creator right now to like if you you know, if you're an artist or if you're so he's he's trying to do his own thing, self publish and, and get that out there and that's really difficult and I mean it was difficult before the world ended. So yeah. <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely hard now so definitely check that out because he's he's super good he's super good at what he does and i, li- I love reading his stuff and he's, yeah but beyond oh, that too. he's yeah beyond that he's a stand-up guy he's a great guy and so yeah check it out yeah so go support ross when i posted the link our good pal christopher egan said had to snag that top tier pledge give me all the stomps <laughs> nice. yeah so oh, thanks yeah. I, I hope that some more book club members will support him christopher egan jason lovin book club member yeah yeah he is always posting on his social media um all the cool horror movies that he's watching lately and if you enjoy what we've been doing on the show you know everything that we do on the show is free so please uh, leave us a review in the itunes app that helps spread the word of the book club you can also follow us on all the social media thingers and retweet us share us do all that stuff give us a shout out on social media or just nice. just write in if you're one of those uh, long time listeners, first time book club member. Like you know, write in your book club member. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Share your thoughts. And if you want to, another way that you can support us is you can check out onlybeast.com and check out our new song if ah. you're so inclined to do that. I'll put a link to that in our show notes as well. You don't. Ha- you don't have. Oh, to you do should that. definitely do that because you should definitely do that <laughs> because that song fucking rocks. Well, thank I love you. it. Thanks, Obs. And now we're gonna go on to our listener feedback. <laughs> a story we talk about it you hate them guys us and it's a book club get out we got a hey you damn guys from i was saying william thunholm but he left us a little voicemail and i think he's pronounced as oh, great william tunholm william tunholm i think that's we, how he said it we like to say your name correctly so please do Correct. We want to say it right. So, yeah, definitely do that. He said, I must admit, I haven't been listening in a while because I've been busy with other stuff, but I have been catching up on the miniseries episodes this week. It's great to be back and hear all of you. Friendship. 
And I'm very happy Aww. with the timing because Bones of Giants, I get to read about Big Red himself walking around in my hometown Stockholm. Oh, that's awesome. And listening to some jazz. I really feel connected to the Mignolaverse in a new way, though I'm not entirely certain of which streets they're on. There's a fair chance Hellboy walked past my local comic book store. So nice. cool. <laughs> that is amazing. That really is. It's awesome having friends that live all over the world. This yeah. is so cool and so fun. So yeah, I'm I would love to ask you a million billion questions about where you live, but I'll refrain. Yeah. But thank you for letting us know how to say your name. That's great. He said one thing I'd like to add is that the corpse found is probably in northern Sweden rather than Finland. I, last week I said Finland. Uh, yeah. Okay. He said both are called Lapland and are close to the Gulf of Bothnia. So it's an easy mistake. But since the corpse is, quote-unquote, property of the Swedish government, I think that we can assume they're in the Swedish part. I was thinking about it later on. I was like, wait, they went to Sweden. If if it had been (laughs) the other place, they'd gone there. Right, yeah. Uh... He said when it comes to psychometry, I think that Kate is saying that Mjolnir activated psychometric abilities in Hellboy, while Pernilla is saying that it is more of a specific psychic connection to the hammer rather than a latent ability. Hence the slight disagreement. Right, right. Last but not least, I have made a short recording of how someone from Stockholm would pronounce the Swedish names and words in chapters one through eight. Oh, awesome. You're doing very well. thank you so much. Yeah, he (laughs) says you're doing very well on your own. Uh, Thank you for that. We appreciate that. We're probably not, but thank you. But it's a fun resource. And so thank you so much, William, for sending us that video. Yes. You know, I'm going to include a clip of that video here in the show and then um if i get your permission i'll also post it on our social media so everybody can see because yeah. he, he put it out at like uh with the text and everything that was so sweet it that was, was really nice yeah thoughtful. that was really I, thoughtful. I actually watched it like three or four times and then i was like kathy you, you gotta watch this and i played it on the tv for kathy and i to nice. watch <laughs> like this is one of our fans he sent it to us yeah and i really like um he said hey you damn guys in swedish Oh my God, Which is really amazing. cool, yeah. So it's always fun to hear that. So yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I hope to hear from you again soon. Yeah, it's awesome making friends with people from just all these different countries, and it's really really cool. And you know, we get to learn a lot of shit. Beyond that, that was um that was very that was very heartwarming to get that video. So whenever I'm it's reading really the sweet. listener feedback, like. I want to know what these people look like and what they sound like, and so it's actually really cool to actually see um, someone who's written in a couple times and oh that's it was, him it was kind of like hanging out with him for a minute or so yeah. it was nice it was cool <laughs> he had his bookshelf in the background yeah. you could see his bprd tra- hardbacks back there and yeah. stuff hey them guys or hello era jävla killar my name is Vilhelm Tunholm and this is the Hellboy related crash course in Swedish let's begin Jan Olof Kjell Fredrik Klar Carl Aronsson, Pernilla Eichmann, Mjölner, Kiruna, Luleå, Trångsund, Asgård, Utgård, Gamla stan, Djurgården, Skällesval, Dalbard River, Svartalv. Thanks a lot. See you around. Beyond the fact that it's like fun to talk about uh, books with your friends, 
which is the whole point of this whole thing, it serves as an awesome reminder of like everybody contributes to make something cool. So yeah. like the more other yeah. people contribute, this group of people basically, it's like a, it's a book club. It's gonna become cooler, and uh, the you know exactly. the more the more people contribute, the more we learn, uh, the more awesome things we find out about. And so yeah, that's just it. It's always really really fun to hear from yeah. you guys. So thank you for that. Yeah. That's awesome. Speaking of friends from around the world, we got some feedback on Frankenstein Underground from Jan Niklas. Hey, Jan Niklas. Book club member. Yeah. He said, hooray, everyone loved it in the end. Yeah. <laughs> Frankenstein Underground is really everything good about the Hellboy verse, perfected and polished, and put in steampunk aesthetics. <laughs> Pulp philosophizing about sin and punishment, dinosaurs. It adds to the deeper understanding of the universe and functions as an introduction to all of Hellboy. But yeah, I also agree with what John said. Frankenstein's origin reads like Roger's. He even acts like Roger in his first appearance with all the angst and praying to God. This could have been the Roger the Homunculus series we never had. <laughs> After quote-unquote killing Liz, Roger lands in the hollow earth and does what Frankenstein does. There would have been no changes. It doesn't mean that Frankenstein isn't an interesting character. I just found it interesting to compare them both. Well... Frankie has the lovelier nipples, I guess. <laughs> uh, man. He said, I really like how complicated a character he is. I mean, we do pity him, but he also did some horrible, horrible things, be it in self-defense or in revenge. And in the end, it's not his fist that saved the day, but the power of life in him. Maybe that's why he touches the crystal so tenderly in that one panel, just to show that it isn't his talent for violence that helped. Awesome. Mm, it just shows how Mike as a writer has gone over the years and turned Frankenstein underground in the best thing he had written so far until Kashi the Deathless came along. <laughs> and then he did it again. Still, is it just me or could this have been its own thing without connections to the Hellboy verse? If I remember it correctly, it was once planned as an eight-issue miniseries. Hmm, we can only dream. Yeah, I guess, like, I mean, they did tie it in with the Marquee and the Vril and King Thoth and all that, but they could have easily just made it its own thing, I, I guess. I feel like it imbued it, for me, for me. Uh, I mean, I, and I, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure that it definitely could have been a standalone thing. For me, it really imbued it with a significance that I didn't have to reach for too much because I already mm -hmm. had all of this undercurrent going on in my mind. And so I was kind of like, oh, what if this is like this? And what if that is kind of like that? And so it, it helped the, making those connections for me kind of helped me. I had an easier time relating to it, maybe, I suppose. Right. I don't know. The whole thing with it being a standalone story, I can actually kind of see how that could be because when we're first introduced to Frankenstein and the Hellboy thing, I didn't get the connection that that Frankenstein was Frankenstein. Right, right. And, the and we, the and monster we, and we, version, yeah. And we know we can call him Frankenstein because he, when he sailed away on sure. the raft, he said, you he can call me it. Frankenstein. <laughs> it's cool. He was cool with that. So we know that. So that's canon um, for every Frankenstein. Um, <laughs> I can see how the, the story could have been a standalone story, but then in the last minute reworked into fitting to, to the narrative. And so how the Frankenstein that we originally met, who I honestly didn't feel a connection to the original Frankenstein right. story, but I could see how it's like, oh, you didn't feel that connection because of X, Y, Z. And I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. It was also kind of a way for us to, to feel that connection through the creators, right? Because like um, the people who created the story are super into Frankenstein and obviously they're super into the stuff that they created. So I think it was almost like a way for us to 
feel connected to it through them, which was helpful to me. Again, like you said, like I, I know a lot of people ha- are really into the Frankenstein. They've seen all the movies and they've read the book. I have not read it. I really should. Um, but it's, you know, one of those things where like I really didn't have any connection to that character beyond what I was reading right then and there. And so for me, like it, like I said, it just kind of imbued it with a significance that I think otherwise I might have been like, why am I reading this? So. Right. Yeah, exactly. And regarding Kashi the Deathless, the episodes that we did a few weeks ago, uh, Jan Niklas also commented on those. He said, A letter appears, signed by Elena, the bride of Kashki, for one minute until that witch bitch came along. Dear book clubbers, I, a lost soul, write you from the darkest of all lands, Germany, (laughs) to add my own thoughts on the discussion about the nature of Kashki. I traveled for a while with him, and after some thinking, I came to the conclusion that his greatest weakness is his selfishness. I don't know if it was the terror of his death or the loss of his own soul, but in the end, Koshki never did anything that wasn't there to make him feel better. His slaying of the dragon's an easy task, since he was so good at killing. Only this time, he could do it for a good cause, or so he wanted to believe. He only thought of his adoptive father after the fact. Avenging me and bringing me back to life? Foolish, and he did it, without asking for my consent. Mm. I mean, I was probably in hell for all the killing and plundering as a pirate, still better than getting resurrected and being left for the first piece of censored for our American readers. Jeez. <laughs> and even when he rebelled that one time against the Baba Yaga so Vasilisa's corpse was preserved, what did he have to lose? Nothing, because he was immoral and he can't die. The only spell the Baba Yaga had over him was the spell that all people in love befall. I think they were a good couple, the idiot and the witch, and they probably did love each other, for love is neither good or bad. Kashi never had it in him to sacrifice as much as Hellboy did, although at his peak, he may have even been more powerful than the demon. He could have taken on the Ogdrajahad himself, I'm sure of that, but his fear of death did not hold him back. How ironic. Hmm. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. But, but it, I, I guess, like, even though he can't die when he lets Vasilisa go, you know, the Baba Yaga makes him kill all those people right. and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, yeah. he didn't think that he had anything to lose. But, yeah, but that is interesting that, um, to put it like that, I guess I would have, that's a different reading on it than yeah. I than I thought. But Well, when you say, you know, he thought he didn't have anything left to lose, that kind of made me, like, in an instant, I sort of reevaluated the whole thing. It's like, that that is his a constant thing for him of like well I got nothing left to lose so whatever right. then he finds out oh I got I actually do have a lot yeah, left to lose yeah. and then again he's like well now I really don't have anything left and it's like well now you're even sadder <laughs> than you thought you ever could be and it's just a constant thing and that's like um I don't know I think that privately an individual could take away from that maybe even like a personal thing of like well <laughs> i still have time to turn this shit around i don't right, necessarily right. have to throw it all away just because of this it actually could fucking get worse kind of a deal so maybe that's another and that's what you you kept bringing that up when there, we yeah. talked about it yeah jason abaddon said jason abaddon book club member he said i think the dragon Ogdra jihad was grooming koshki to be its champion it's possible that hellboy's very existence is a response from the natural world to oppose this mm. hellboy was made to undo the dragon's plans and the Baba Yaga managed to take the dragon's champion away from them. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. It is interesting. Because we did talk about the mm, parallels the inverse, between yeah. Koshki and Hellboy. And if they are an inverse, and the fact that they came together in the end, and Hellboy was able to kind of free him and start right. him over, in a way, yeah. in a new place. Then kind that's, of reset him. I think that's really interesting to to think about it like that, the fact that they ended up coming together and... and, um, and 
Drinking with some skeletons. No, yeah, but, uh, well, you know, they were able to come together and, and kind of reconcile that. Okay. You know, so that is that is interesting, yeah. A lot of really good feedback from the book club members. Yeah. Just one right after the other. Yeah. It's great. When I posted about Vasilisa, you know, Hellboy says, I saw her a couple more times, and then right. I kind of posted those very pivotal moments where, for example, she gets the raven from Nimue's crown and turns it into that knife so Hellboy can kill her. It's a good clip show, yeah. And uh, and yeah. she cries when she gives it to him. You know, and Braxton Harrington said... Braxton Harrington. Book club member. Book club member. He said there are several scenes where Fregredo illustrates a character crying and it's always so affecting. Yeah. And it made me reflect on that, you know, it made me think of like when Kate is crying in yeah. an un- un- unmarked grave, that's that the one that always really got me. Your heart. Yeah. yeah, and then when Alice cries after Hellboy dies, yeah. like there's a some really powerful panels that kind of stick in your mind. As soon as I read that comment, I was like, "Oh shit, you're absolutely right." You really paid attention to and captured the body language and the facial expressions of someone who is in absolute despair and agony. Yeah, and it's it's really, um, I mean, yeah, that's it's very human. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like. Um, a glossed over no, to look yeah. pretty comic book. No, yeah. You know what I mean? It looks very like uh Again, it tugs this, at your heartstrings. Yeah, yeah, that storytelling yeah. ability is is really yeah, no, that's a good point. Figure is awesome. And Mark Tweedell made me feel better. Mark Tweedell. Book club book club uh, host. Book club member. host and member, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He posted a clip of Katie O'Brien, the editor of Dark Horse, oh. and she's talking about that they don't know how to pronounce Koshki. and she and so it was really cool they're talking to her about the comic and she even says couldn't even go to the source wow and and, uh and she even says just like danielle did if anyone's from russia can you tell us how to (laughs) how to pronounce this we're doing our best so um so we're not doing that bad is what you're saying exactly so thank you mark for saying that i'll I'll post uh, i'll post a little clip of her um in this part of the episode awesome that's pretty awesome we were saying Koski, and then we were saying Koshki, and now I'm pretty sure it's Koshke, but like maybe Koshke. If anyone speaks Russian, please tell us. Um, anyway, we are doing our best. We had some feedback on Hellboy Bones of Giants Part 1 from last week. Okay. Jerry Turnbull said... Jerry Turnbull. Book club member. Book club member and book reader. Yeah. Someone's reading the books with us. Nice. And book, uh, he should be like book club in librarian. Ah, okay. Ah, nice. nice. He said, so pleased you're branching out to the novels. This and The Lost Army are my favorites. They have a great feel to them, and Christopher Golden really fleshes out the relationship between Hellboy and Abe. Plus, Norse mythology. Yeah. Yeah. The spot illustrations from Mike are lovely, too. And he went on to say, and deckled edges rule, especially in books. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I wonder um, what book he's referring to that he's oh, got the yeah. nice deckled edges Absolutely, in. Yeah. I think we have some fancy books that have nice oh, deckled for sure. edges. Yeah. That's the thing, though. When someone, man, when you've got handmade paper, someone went through the trouble of fucking making this paper by hand. And, and Does it then, have to be handmade to have the deckled edges? Well, yeah. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, typically it's, I don't know of any, like, I, I guess there must be a machine process to do that, hmm. to make handmade paper by machine pseudo-deckle? I, I guess well it wouldn't be pseudo decal it would be decal but I, I the process itself whether done by machine or whether done by hand i suppose the outcome would be i'm not really sure i don't really have mm. know of any machine made paper that would come out that way but it's po- i mean it's entirely possible that i'm just an idiot and then there's a lot of paper that's actually like the majority of it might be made that way but anyway you know paper that has deckled edge you know is basically just paper that hasn't been trimmed 
Right. So yeah. even by machine, yeah. you know, like if you if you uh, have a machine that does it, it's you know, and just don't trim it, then that would be deckled edge paper. But um, in any case, it's great. <laughs> don't trim it, please. And Drew Campbell said, Drew Campbell, book club member, book club member. He said, it's been so long since I read this book, it never occurred to me how similar Hellboy's situation is to Ted Howard's. It made me wonder what other weapons are out there that would mentally link you with an ancient person or mythological figure. You talked about that a little yeah. bit last week. I yeah. love that parallel. Yeah. For sure. And, you yeah. know, this book came out long before, I think, Howard's was introduced. So yeah, I, I like mm. that that idea carried over, you know. or it, it, I wonder uh, if that's, I mean, that's it's a clear parallel. Yeah. So that's that's really cool. He also said, I actually like macadamia nuts. I think they have a nice buttery flavor. Yeah, okay. <laughs> nice. He said, I also recently read Straight On Till Morning, the limited hardcover that has chapter illustrations by a lot of great artists, including one by Mignola. Coincidentally, Ooh. there are some shape-changing seal creatures in that book, too. Yeah, Straight On Till Morning. I'll have to check that out. We also heard from Hayden Orr. Hayden Orr. Book club member. Book club member. I posted that picture from the Bones of Giants book where they show the remains of Thor when they find him with the hammer and all that. And Hayden said, I always like seeing when gods or figures from established mythologies pop up in the Mignolaverse. I'm always curious what their origins are. Some gods are likely watchers who fell after the murder of Anum. Mm. Like Pluto, who was a watcher, but is also a Roman god of the underworld modeled after Hades from Greek mythology. We saw the personification of Hercules' guilt and the Hydra in the Hydra and the Lion one shot. And we have the fey beings and the deities like Dagda and Queen Mab. We can assume that most, if not all, mythological beings exist in one form or another in the Mignolaverse, like Quetzalcoatl in Mesoamerican myth, being an Ogdrahem. Does this mean that all monsters from mythology are either Ogdrahem or spawn from Ogdrahem? Creatures like the Hydra or Typhon from Greek mythology, Apep from Egyptian mythology, and even Jormundur, the world serpent, a.k.a. Thor's nemesis. If this is true, then it's also possible that pagan gods and heroes from myths around the world are all descendants of or are actually the fallen watchers who maybe stayed on Earth. The ones who weren't banished to the pit were said to stay on Earth to breed monsters. Maybe the monsters refer to actual monsters, or maybe it means god beings like Sobek or Anubis, who we've also seen in the Hellboy stories. I like to think that the progenitors of these mythologies were fallen watchers and spawned other gods once on Earth. Beings like Odin, Zeus, and Osiris were watchers who fell after killing their brother Anum and decided to create kingdoms on Earth. Something like that. I do like this idea. I do like where you're going with that. That is super cool. And when he posted that comment, Jerry Turnbull said, "Man, I was just gonna say nice hammer." Ah, <laughs> nice. No, that's that. I. That's amazing. I, that is really wow, cool to think yeah. of. Like, oh, all these. You know, you've you've got the Watchers and the descendants of the Watchers are all of these like weird beings, like the yeah. gods and goddesses and stuff. And then you've got like the uh, the Ogdrahim are like these uh, these all these monsters and stuff. Yeah. And then um, I like to think that that's definitely the case, but I also like to think that there's some here and there that are just like rando weird magic people, like like you talked about like the Fey and all yeah, of that. Like, yeah. Uh, so there's there's definitely. I feel like it's a little bit of everything. I feel like, yeah, you've got all... I do love that theory. That is fantastic. I think that's wonderful of like, yeah, the Watchers and then, yeah, the the, uh, the Audrahim. But then like, there are some, I think, that don't even really fit into that category. They're just kind of like a weird outliers that are just here and there and like they're just magic or something. Right, which yeah. Is, which is neat to think about. But yeah, that's um, that definitely gives a lot of volume and texture 
to this world and really makes you kind of go back and think over everything you've read. Yeah. And I really like that a lot. That's, That's fantastic. That's very cool. I love yeah. that theory. That's great. I also do like the different uh, mythologies all existing at the same time. Yeah, for sure. And, and all all of them have merit and all of them were there and they all existed. And I like the fact that intermingling and things like yeah, that. Yeah, that's cool. Well, and we've talked about uh, how time isn't a thing. So that's, well, that's not, definitely even, possible, you know? But it's not even it's not even about time. It's also about, like, you know, different uh, cultures and different uh, beliefs. Have, oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Know, different, you know, they all have their own different religions. I, just, I, like, the, I like the idea that each each individual belief just has some merit in the, in the spiritual kind of world kind of thing. Yeah, sure, yeah, I like that. You had just mentioned yeah. like uh, you had mentioned like oh they all exist like at the same time and it's like you know when we talk about parallel realities and all that stuff like yeah that's entirely possible mm-hmm. in the in the world that we're discussing so that is that's super cool. Awesome! Thanks for all the excellent feedback this week. And now we're going to go on to our book club episode. We're going to continue our discussion of Hellboy: Bones of Giants. Previously. As Hellboy and Abe investigate what appear to be the remains of the Norse god Thor, Hellboy picks up the hammer and is struck by lightning, fusing the weapon to his hand. With the Swedish officials, they also discover a long-hidden cave that appears to have been disrupted. Hellboy starts acting weird, speaking in Norse language, and he also has a vision of some sort of frost giant. Their investigation leads them to Edmund Aikman and his daughter Pernilla. Hellboy knows Edmund from the events of King Vold, and they put their differences aside to try and solve the mystery of the remains and the hammer. Hellboy and Abe spend the night there, and in the middle of the night, a Norse squirrel Ratatosk wakes Hellboy. Hellboy sees Eichmann leaving in a hurry. As Hellboy chases after him, he's attacked by some unknown monster in the darkness. As we open up Chapter 5, Abe is asleep, but he isn't dreaming of fishes. He's in some landscape, and he feels cold, which is something that's been mentioned in the previous chapters. And there's a mention of him not being a sensitive, which I thought was interesting. It says, he was one of a kind, no doubt. He had proven himself a more than capable field agent for the Bureau and had some talents they taught him and others that were unique to him. But he was not by any means psychic. In truth, he had never even been particularly curious of what it meant to be sensitive to the worlds and eddies of thought and emotion that lingered in the ether. And so I thought this was interesting because in the movies, they do kind of make him a sensitive. Oh, my God. That? Mm. Dude, okay. So I immediately thought that this was a dig at the movies. And then I was like, wait, when did this book come out? You said 2001, right? <laughs> yeah, I think the movie hadn't come out yet. Right. Yeah, so this is a preemptive dig at the movies <laughs> interesting they knew that they were going to do some bullshit and they're nice. like no Abe does. abe's not psychic but yeah, yeah so they they they're mentioning constantly of like oh why am i feeling so cold ever since i got to scandinavia i've i mean it's mentioned here like one uh two and it's like again he's like oh i shivered i even though i ought to have been sweltering that's another one and then uh a third time oh i don't know why i feel so damn cold and it's troubling me that's three times in like half a page worth of text so we really need to be paying attention to that i feel like and and all the previous Um, chapters yeah exactly and it's also saying like he's super thirsty now too oh right yeah comes up a little bit later abe here is hellboy running down the stairs remember hellboy in the previous chapter yelled for abe as he was running down them abe wakes up and he puts on his pants also thing is check it out he heard that he well that's great he heard the uh hellboy's hooves um in his dream and he knew it was hellboy right yeah so then he wait 
that I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's happened to all of us. That's like you hear something in your dream and then you're like, oh, what's that? Is that my alarm? And then you wake up and it's like, it is my alarm. Oh, shit. Yeah. How long has that been going on? So that's that's just interesting how they threw that in there. Yeah. And he runs down the hallway and he thinks he sees a ghost. It says the apparition flew closer and resolved itself there in the darkness. It was Pernilla, ebony hair falling around her marble flesh, body draped like a silken shift and gown. For a moment longer, Abe could say nothing. So stunned was he by how very like a specter she seemed. And so I think this is interesting too because we'll see a couple more times they describe her in this way. Like yeah. she's like a ghost or something like that. Well, it, on the initial meeting, I thought it was very interesting just how much time Christopher Golden took to describe her appearance and its impact on Abe. Yeah. So she clearly had a very strong impact on him. You're right. They did mention that. And so it was very, I, I, that, that paragraph stuck out to me. It was very like, oh, I, I feel, I feel like uh, he was trying to tell us, hey, make note of this in your mind, how striking this was. And so again, like you said, they're reiterating this for us here. So that's, that's very interesting. And there's another quote. Pernilla followed him, unmindful of the railing, moving down the steps as if floating. Mm. Abe was about to admonish her, but she looked at him, and there was a silent communication between them, a moment of understanding when their minds seemed to touch. Watch the shadows, he said. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, you know, it does bring up the fact that, like, you know, he said, like, I'm not psychic. I've never been a psychic. But then all of a sudden, their minds are touching. Right. Yeah, that is interesting. But probably not, but... And she know. seems to know an awful lot about that kind of shit. Yeah. Too. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. She's already been like, well, I'm a, kind of an expert on this. So, And then we're like, wait, why? Aren't you a folklorist? What's yeah, happening? yeah. Wait, what? Back with Hellboy. So last week, we were speculating on what the monster or monsters were that were attacking him. And here... As Hellboy's fighting them off, he calls them weasels, and it seems like they have reed-thin swords. And I thought this was interesting, a little bit of a spoiler for later, but Abe will see one up close, and he'll describe it more like a seal. Mm -hmm. Which I think is funny, because there was an interaction earlier with Abe, where he didn't want to go to Scandinavia, because last time they encountered lunatic shape-shifting seals. Yeah. When I heard him describe them as seals, I was like, oh, they're weasel seal monsters. Right. And, and I mentioned seals. Selkie folk, which fit that description, I did a little bit of more research on, on Wikipedia I found. There seems to be some confusion between Selkie and Finfolk. There is a Norse concept of Finfolk as shapeshifters who were dwellers of the sea who could remove their seal skin and transform into humans. Yeah, that seems much more Ooh. on the nose there. Yeah, and there's some great descriptions of Hellboy fighting these things. When they're injured, they're described to leak out black mist before disappearing, Ugh. which I can definitely see in my mind's eye. Sure, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's very cinematic to think about that. Oh, yeah. You can definitely see that. Like, you used to get struck and just missed away. Yeah. And how these things slash and clawed Hellboy, but they can't seem to get far into his durable skin. Because it says here that uh, it's slicing him in his thigh. It's slipped underneath his rib cage. It's very sharp, but uh, it hurts a lot. All this stuff. So they're they're getting him. Uh, it says it could not go very far through the muscle there, but it hurt like a son of a ah, bitch. Ah, that's good. Okay. I kind of read that as like, oh man, he's really taking a beating. Well, it, it is, but I, so. I, don't, I don't think they can hurt him as bad as right, they right, want to. Sure. I think it's the point they're trying to make. Yeah. But he's there, yeah, like you said, it talks about how he's super durable, so. Hellboy fights them off with the hammer. Reading from the book, Hellboy raised the hammer and brought it down in a sweeping arc. As he did, a kind of exhilaration rushed through him, filled him up. His right arm felt 
as though it were no longer even in his control. It was in that moment as if that ancient Warhammer rushed towards its enemies of its own accord. Mm. I like that. And then we get like a lot of descriptions of it totally messing their shit up and everything. And so he's, <laughs> it's interesting. We, we've started to get a little bit of this uh, kind of leaking through of earlier he had talked about, oh, it the hammer itself has a personality and a mind of its own and can think and right. reason and, and kind of is. And then now we're, we're starting to get little bits and pieces of it maybe leaking into Hellboy of like that is kind of every once in a while it comes through and now it's his personality for a moment or so. And he's feeling exhilarated fighting these guys and he's yelling in this language he doesn't even right, know how right. he knows it and all this stuff. And so every once in a while it's like he's channeling Thor or Mjolnir. Mjolnir is channeling Thor through Hellboy. Are we saying Mjolnir right? I, I'm I questioning so. everything I'm saying now because of this <laughs> tutorial that he gave us. I want to do it right, especially after he sent that to us. I kind of feel like... Well, okay, so I apologize because I know I'm saying it wrong. Yeah. And I will go back and listen to it several times. I know. I, I, I He played it but for us like right, right before we started recording. I didn't really get a chance to like actually listen to it uh, more than like once, so... As Hellboy continues to bash the weasels, Abe and Pernilla join the scene, and it makes a point to note that they're holding hands, which I thought was interesting. There seems to be a connection between the two. You know, I think they're just holding hands because Abe is trying to protect her. Well, it's fucking scary. Yeah, it's a scary thing. weird ghost monsters running around slicing people up. Like, if there was anyone near me, I would hold their hand probably. I don't know. I, I, I actually took notes that they were holding hands, too, because I was just like, that's a weird thing to be doing in light of monsters going around. <laughs> I don't think it's weird at all, but it is definitely something to take note of for sure in this story. And Hellboy throws Abe a sword so that way he can make a getaway. I like this moment where Abe glances at the blade in his hand and at the weasels. He nodded once under control. Okay. So like they have that partnership. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's yeah. like, he realizes what is going on here between him and Hellboy. They have a working relationship and they've been in these action situations yeah. before where, you know, they just have to kind of read each other's mind. We've you know, seen that many sync. times yeah. where they'll, yeah, they'll do stuff like that. Well, it's like, you know, they've been in a situation, you know, Hellboy throws Abe a sword. Abe's like, all right, let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the creatures don't seem winded from their fight with Hellboy, and when Abe tries to take over the battle, it seems like they don't want Abe and Pernilla to follow after Hellboy. Reading from the book, Abe had thought they were naked and hairless, but he found as he looked at them more closely that they were neither. Both of the creatures had black hair that was slicked back across their skulls as though oiled, and they wore clothes of some sort of leather, some stretched and treated animal skin, with black iron buckles and buttons, but no zippers. Just as they seemed almost to disappear in deep shadow, so too did their carriage. The way they bent over all the time and never attacked directly create the illusion of nakedness. Their skin was not much different from the texture of their garments. And so I like this idea that they're like coming in in and out of the darkness. And um, this description of them I thought was really interesting. I was trying to like put my finger on like what is it that they're actually fighting? You know what I mean? Yeah. Shadow dudes. Pernilla thinks that the creatures have abducted her father, and she confronts them. And Abe has a nice action moment as he defends her from one of the creatures slashing her, which is pretty good, considering he has limited experience with a sword, only having ever fenced once on a lark with Professor Broom. Ah, fun. I want to see that. Who had had seen one too (laughs) many Errol Flynn films? That's the little detail at at the end of that sentence there is super cute. The way that Christopher Golden writes this, I do see this in my head. You know, the way he talks about it and and it's just like, you know, I do want to see it 
in live action or an art or something like that. But the way he describes it, I do see it in my head. He's yeah, a for sure. Descriptive yeah. writer and just respect. Well, yeah, and he's, he's descriptive of like the attitudes that people have going into the action, which is what makes me care about it. Like, I really don't tend to give a shit about quote unquote action scenes, right? Okay, unless right, there's right, a right, fucking right, right. reason. And so, like, the fact that he is making it. So where I am like, oh, this is interesting. It's not nonsense <laughs> for no reason. What I was saying that I really want to see is I want to see Abe fencing Professor Broom. Absolutely. That sounds adorable <laughs> and very fun. I just want to see one panel of Super Abe cute. and Professor Broom fencing each other in the getup and all that stuff. Yes. Well, and it's, I, I do, I love the way that he Matt. says it because and it also in the narrative, it's like, yeah, I'm a decent shot with a, with a pistol, but swords are archaic things. I'd only ever fenced once before on yeah. a lark with Professor Broom. And the, oh, well, you say yeah. it, it does conjure up a, like super cute and funny images, but yeah. at the same time, it's also kind of like, yeah, you know, like swords. Who who the fuck knows how to sword fight? Nobody. Right. If we picked up a sword, like in movies, you always just see people like, ah, I'm sword fighting. But if any of us picked up a sword, we'd be like, I don't know what the fuck can do with right. this. It'd be just like clacking swords back and forth, like. I, I think it would be heavy. I think I'd be like, super heavy. Dang yeah. it, how do you well, hold an this thing up? Well, an actual sword, yeah, it's very heavy. <laughs> but see, that's how. That's what I mean. It's like everything you just described. I feel yeah. like Christopher Golden gets across in the way he described that. Absolutely, yeah. Like, and he does so very know, concisely and very, you know, yeah. quickly, very, very efficiently. So, yeah. And so it's just like you know everything is like, oh yeah. You know, I just uh, I've just done the pistol fighting, and I don't who the fuck fights with swords. You know, I get all of that, and I get the weight of the sword. And yeah, it's also somewhat like... whimsical and kind of throwaway, yeah. which is which is what I I love about that. And like Danielle said, Errol Flynn is mentioned. He was an Australian-born American actor. He achieved worldwide fame during the golden age of Hollywood. He was known for his romantic swashbuckler roles and reputation for his womanizing and hedonistic personal life. <laughs> His most notable role is the hero Robin Hood. Nice. Yeah. Pernilla bolts the door and locks the creatures in there with them. And Abe chops off his hand and the black mist pours out. And I love this illustration here because we actually get a nice uh, Mignola version of the creature with its hand cut off. And then there's a separate illustration of just the hand (laughs) falling off, Uh, which is really, that's a very... Mignola type of thing it's like great. if it was in an if it was in a comic book I imagine you would get that one panel the with flock. just the hand you know sure. what I mean yeah and I, the black smoke coming out of the back is super cool yeah it began to gibber in a sing-song voice some language neither of them understood Abe pressed the point of his sword against its chest puncturing the clothing and the skin beneath and that black mist swirled out I'm gonna ask you one more time what have you done with His words were cut off by a loud pop as the creature simply disintegrated, clothes and all, right in front of their eyes. One moment it was solid, and the next little more than a fine scattering of black soot and a swirl of ebony vapor. Abe sighed. Now what? As Hellboy runs out after Aikman, there's a wave of cold that hits him, and all the lights start going out in the street lamps. Just one of those things that happened, Hellboy thinks. (laughs) Then more of the weasels come out. Hellboy continues bashing them and hammering through them with Mjolnir. He realizes that the the weasels are trying to keep him from catching up with Aikman. They're scratching him all up with their claws and swords, and Hellboy sees Aikman running towards the subway. He yells after him, and he sees lights going on in the houses, which I think is a nice, like, people are being woken up by this and looking out. Like, I wonder if they... (laughs) 
if they look out, do they just see Hellboy? Do they see the weasel things? You know what I mean? Does it look like Hellboy's? I and I don't even actually know if they're like weasels either. I think he. I think that was more of a like, ah, you little weasel, right? You little scamp. Like I don't. I don't know if they look like weasels because the illustration here also is kind of like. Oh yeah, they yeah. look like you know they do look like creatures of some kind, but I don't know if they're actually like weasels. But yeah, I wonder if I wonder if people. Like you said, well, if they're looking out uh, of their windows and they're just seeing Hellboy running around, like, <laughs> right. or if it's maybe like kind of shadowy oh, figures, yeah, maybe yeah. they can't the get lights a good are going picture out, right, of them. So, yeah. Very, you know, maybe they can't well, see him very well. Or well, the description of him as being as weasel is from Hellboy's point of view. I mean, that's how he's perceiving them. Right. Not that, that not that that's an actual what they are. That's just how he perceives them because Abe because we learned later Abe's like no they're more like seals right again like is that how he's perceiving them or is that just kind of like a, a figure speech right. like I, I kind of took that as ah you little fuckers like yeah, kind of yeah. a you know <laughs> sort of a thing but I don't know maybe I'm read that wrong reading from the book Hellboy lashed out cracking skulls breaking bones but still the things kept pace with him even dancing ahead of him like dogs nipping at the heels of a paper boy on a cycle what he wouldn't have given for a bicycle right then. <laughs> I thought that was a good Oh, man. Oh, actually, I thought of something else, too, just now. Like, when you said, can they see them or can they not? Um, you know, later on, we've read some stuff that kind of maybe hints at whether or not that's happening because the uh, the guys that we're about to meet kind of explain a little bit of oh, that. Oh, okay. Too. Yeah, so yeah. Let's keep that in mind. That's neat. Aikman, don't screw with me again, Hellboy roared. Cursing loudly, he saw Eichmann go down into the entrance to the subway. Hellboy was nearly there himself, and he picked up speed. His hoof struck the sidewalk hard enough to turn small divots of the stone to chalk dust. And he had left a gruesome Hansel and Gretel trail of injured weasel creatures behind him, the dead ones having disappeared in a puff of black mist. So you said Aikman, don't screw with me again, and then you promptly said Eichmann had not been someone. I just didn't want you to go back and be like, damn it. Now, I, I realize that it's a pronunciation corner. Yeah, there you go. We get some more great illustrations by Mignola of Hellboy with the hammer. Nice. It says, another wave of cold swept up at him from underground. Frost formed all along the walls, and ice covered the fluorescent lights for a few seconds. Oh, and more of these weasel things come up, and they start smothering Hellboy. Oh, so yeah, Aubrey, I, maybe you're right. Maybe it is like uh, they are like that's how he's perceiving them. They're like actually look like little weasel monsters. Right. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. I actually had when I first read it, and that's why it's a book club. I had kind of taken it as just like that's just kind of an offhanded like comment that he made. But um, I guess yeah, they're like weasel like. That's interesting. And there's also a nice detail that they're attacking Hellboy all over, but they stay away from the hammer. You know what I mean? Like they're attacking oh, him wow, at, yeah. at all parts of his body except for Mjolnir. And I like this part. It says Mjolnir world. Hellboy spun around, clutching it with both hands now. Ooh. And he used it as a bludgeoning scythe that erased the creatures. It struck from the face of the world, tearing into them so that only a black mist remained around him to mark their passing. Ooh. So I love this. I imagine him like swinging it yeah. around and then just leaving like a circle of black mist and stuff Jeez. like that. It's very, very cool. But finally, when he reached that place, there was no sign of Professor Eichmann. Or of the things that had attacked him. And so Hellboy gets all pissed off and he uses the hammer to strike against the subway station. Jeez. Oh, that's perfect, he whispered to himself. Have a tantrum. That'll solve everything. So he's kind of, he's he's experiencing a little bit more of this um, thing that we've, we've seen uh, only bits and pieces of. It's, it's starting to peek out a little bit more and more, which is, um, you know, his his personality is kind of 
affected every once in a while. Right. By yeah. This thing. He's getting like all. He's kind of uh, not really in control of emotionally. That. Yeah. yeah. Unnerved by his own behavior and everything. Like that's that's interesting. And then so he turns around and he sees these two figures blocking his path at the bottom of the steps. They were broad, thick-bodied things with brown skin. Marks like huge freckles scattered across their faces. Stumps of men, they seemed. Long, wiry hair clumped together with iron rings. They're these two dwarves, right? One wore a thick beard and carried a warhammer similar in shape, but much smaller than uh, Mjolnir. Oh, yeah, So yeah. that's interesting that they've kind of fashioned their stuff out of that. And the other one has twin daggers. Neat. Hellboy rolls his eyes. Dwarves, you got to be kidding me. Where's Snow White? And they say... The snow is white all across the Northlands. <laughs> right. Adorable. It says here, in Hellboy's mind, it was as though two voices spoke. One was that rough antique language and one translating. And the right. two voices intertwined in his, like, in his mind, right. I guess. And so that's... We have come to aid the Thunderbearer in any way possible. Good for you. I'm sure he'll be thrilled. <laughs> any idea where Professor Eichmann went? And the two half-men frown deeply. Don't think so. Tell the Thunderbearer I say hello, will ya? And they stare at him for a little while. They say, but you are the Thunderbearer. Uh, well, he threatens to crush them with the hammer. Right. <laughs> and he, like, raises the hammer up, and they're just, like, kind of standing there like, what are you doing, man? Like, they don't even, they're not afraid or anything. They're just kind of looking at him, like, expectantly. Right. Hellboy <laughs> sighed and hung his head. Crap. How did I know you were going to say that? Oh, man. Picking up on chapter six, so we open up in this city, Gamlastan. From Wikipedia, the bustling compact island of Gamlastan is the city's old town with cobbled streets and colorful 17th and 18th century buildings. It's home to the medieval cathedral and the royal palace. Silish bistros serve new Nordic cuisine, while night spots include old school pubs and cheap cocktail bars. And um, Christopher Golden really describes... Um, this city and uh, everything around it. I wonder if he's actually visited there because he really goes into a lot of detail and um, he lovingly describes, you know, everything that I kind of just summarized from that Wikipedia entry. It sounds awesome. Yeah, it sounds really cool. I would love to. I'd love mm -hmm. to visit just reading this yeah. description alone. Sounds nice. Hellboy chuckled nervously as he glanced around. Twilight Zone, he muttered. The two dwarves, the Nidavellem, walked behind him, and the bearded one with the small warhammer was called Brock, and the other with the chin patch and the daggers was Eitri. In North mythology, Brock is a dwarf and the brother of Eitri. So in the mythology, Loki boasted of all the things that the sons of Ivaldi could create and that the other dwarves could not create anything beautiful or useful. Brock, who was in Asgard at the time, declared that his brother Eitri could make things far more beautiful than the sons of Ivaldi. Brock bet his head with that of Loki that they could. While Eitri used magic in the forge that was extremely hot, Brock worked the bellows so that the fire would not cool down nor get too hot for the magic. While making the hammer Mjolnir, a gadfly often thought to be Loki, bit Brock on his eye. This temporary caused Brock to stop blowing. This brief stoppage of blowing into the fire caused Mjolnir's handle to become shorter than it would have been. Because of this, Thor had to wear iron gauntlets to handle it. Mjolnir and the other objects that they made were judged by the gods to be superior, and Brock won the bet. However, Loki didn't allow him to take his head, as doing so would have damaged his neck, which was not included in the bet. In lieu of this, Brock sewed Loki's lips shut, 
so that Loki would not brag until the thread came out. Um, I like looking into the history. So these two dwarves are featured in the mythology. And I think in the Marvel movies, Peter Dinklage was Eitri. In uh, Infinity War. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that kind of carries on with the mythology section. Like I said, all Hellboy can think of is a Twilight Zone. The American media franchise based on the anthology television series created by Rod Serling in 1959. And when he says Twilight Zone, the dwarves are confused by this. Brock bowed slightly. Apologies, Hellboy. What do you mean by these words? Just that it's kind of eerie out here this time of night. I keep expecting Rod Serling to walk out of an alley, he wanted to say. That would have only confused them more. So as they're walking... Behind Hellboy, you know, Hellboy kind of, he just accepts this thing about being the Thunderbearer. He's like, all right, let's pretend I'm the Thunderbearer. Who are the weasels? And the dwarves say, they are Svaltovs. And, Hellboy sighed, the dwarves look perturbed. There Svartals. are Svartals. What the hell are Svartals? Brock nodded. There are many darkling races in the nine worlds. We, Nidavalem, are metalsmiths and armorers, respected for our craft. The Svartovs have no craft and no art. They are carrying creatures who once fed off the leavings of the Aesir and the Giants. In the millennia since the Age of Gods ended in blood and fire, they have lurked in shadow and fed off the refuse left behind by humanity and sometimes of the dead. And when I looked up Svart Elves, they were like elves or fairy creatures. So I think like, you know, we're talking about weasels we're talking about seals but i think they're kind of like dark elves or that's 100 percent what they're yeah, yeah something sure. like that's, that i think that's literally what that means yeah william tunholm's guide that he made for us says that it means a uh, black elf oh okay. so i guess like dark a uh, dark elf yeah. yeah literally like the color like right yeah. darkness and hellboy asks, what about you guys how do you manage to walk around looking like that without drawing attention they say we hide sometimes we hide where the humans are least likely to look right in their midst one of the first things our kind learned about humanity was this. They do not believe what they see. Rather, they see what they believe, and they don't believe in us anymore. So it's interesting that's kind of going back to when you were like, hey, I wonder if anyone else can see right, all this okay. stuff. I kind of, I feel like that kind of tied into what you were saying there. Okay, Hellboy says, but why did Eichmann take off in the middle of the night? And why did your little buddies stop me from catching up to him? Thrym, Brock said grimly. Oh, well, that explains everything, Hellboy says. What the heck is Thrym? But the word resounded in his head, causing a flutter of something buried deep in his mind, the awakening of some awareness that he had not always possessed. Thrym. And I did look this up in North Mythology. Thrym was the king of the Jotnar. In one legend, he stole Mjolnir, Thor's hammer, to extort the gods into giving him Freya as his wife. Thrym was foiled in his scheme by the gracefulness of Hemdal, the cunning of Loki, and the sheer violence of Thor, who later killed Thrym, his sister, and all the Jotnar kin who had been present at the wedding reception. So that is also in the Norse mythology as well. It's either like Freya or Freyja or something yeah, like that. Yeah, okay. So something like that. But right before we get into Flashback Alley, right. we've got... um. Mjolnir grew so cold that it burned even the hand that could not be burned. Ah, mm. that's a nice little detail. Interesting. And so we do get the flashback of Thrym. And so just like we had that flashback earlier where Thor was fighting the world serpent, here we get this encounter with Thrym. And when he finds who had once been king of the frost giants, he was laying on his side, knees tucked up towards his belly, hands crossed on his chest. There had been a time when to look at Thrym on the field of battle meant to peer into the clouds, but on this day, 
he was severely diminished. The ice where he lay must have melted when he first reclined there, for now it had built up around him, so that the room was all of a piece with the cavern itself. He a part of it, and it a part of him. And so it talks about him all frozen there. You know, there's all these, like, stalagmites of the ice kind of encasing him into the cave. And he starts, like, saying all this crazy stuff in savage detail. He talks about how he's going to kill all these people. And when he starts talking about how he's going to drape himself in Sif's organs, Thor kills him with a single blow. That's Thor's wife. Right. And it says... uh, he cracked the frozen skull of the Hollow King. An icy wind washed through the cavern, and Thrym was dead. Thrym was a horrid thing, truly a monster. Killing him was an act of vengeance and honor, not of mercy. And then Hellboy kind of snaps out of it. He's still in Gamlastan with the two dwarves. I remember, Hellboy says. Thrym, Eitri asked. Hellboy nodded. Thrym. But how can it be Thrym? The Nidavalim explained. Back with Pernilla and Abe, they board up the window to the house, and they have some hot chocolate together. Pernilla is shaken up and worried about her father. She asks Abe about his friendship with Hellboy. She's been brought up to think that Hellboy's a monster. Abe says he'll be back soon, and he assures her that Hellboy doesn't want to kill her father. And he tries to distract her by asking her about her work, and Abe suggests that he can hook her up, with Professor Aronson at the university. And so I like this. There's a nice little moment where, you know, she gets wrapped up in talking about her work and she seems to, like, forget all of her worries. And there is also this other part where she says, I fear you'll find me rude again, but I have to ask you, where do you come from? Washington, D.C., Abe replied. The quip and automatic defense mechanism. He regretted it immediately. And so then he tells her, you know, he's like, I don't know. He talks about how... They found him sealed up in the basement of St. Trinian's Hospital in Washington, D.C., and they discovered the ichthyosapien cylinder where he was born, and it had that date, April 14, 1865, so he kind of explains to her his origin, and I like this because we've only really seen that in, like, one little panel, I think, in the comics, and here we get a little bit more of of that. What's weird is, like... I don't know, he's like, the day President Lincoln was assassinated, that's where I got my name. Like, why would she fucking know who that is? Like, not everybody knows everything about American history all over the world, do they? I mean, that's... I think so. Really? Well, I don't know. I actually kind of took it as just like, he was dismissive of the way he said, like, oh, I was discovered this way. But he's like, wait, maybe she doesn't know that. And then he begins to explain his origin a little bit. Sure. And- for what he knows. Right. Because at this point, he doesn't know anything. He, he didn't know about Langdon or Anumni Bisque or any of that. Right, yeah. But I like this part where she's like, it's a proud name. You know what I mean? She kind of assures him, like, this is cool. You know what I mean? Don't feel bad about all this stuff. I wonder if it was one of those, yeah, hopefully we can stop talking about this now. Kind of a things <laughs> like that. For me, it would just be kind of like, all right, man. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about this. They soon hear someone knocking. Who is it? The big bad wolf, Hellboy Jeez. replies, crankily, and they open the door, and they find him there with the dwarves. I think that this would be uh, a funny scene cute. to see. Yeah. Yeah. And Pernilla recognizes them as the Nidavalim, which seems to make them happy. So they're like, oh. Yeah, they're stoked. Someone knows who we are. They're pumped. And Hellboy tells them to guard the house while they get some rest. At one point, he says, I need my beauty sleep, yeah. right? I li- but I, I like that little moment that we got with them where they were very... They're like, ah, this stood up a little bit straighter. That's super cute. I dig that. Hellboy also reveals to Pernilla how her father was 
being guarded by the smart elves. They didn't want Hellboy to catch him, and the information causes Prunella to lose her color. Again, she's described as a walking corpse. And so Abe tries to change the subject. Svartovs, Abe asked. Yep. The amphibian hooked a thumb towards the door. And those two guys? Their reason they're suddenly your bodyguards? Hellboy half-heartedly raised Mjolnir. I'm the Thunderbearer. <laughs> ah, well, yeah, that explains it, uh. Abe replied, not bothering to hide the sarcasm in his voice. And uh, in the Hellboy movie, they have Abe doing that a lot, where he's like, ah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I do like it. It made me think of that, you know. I, but also, he says that in a very sarcastic way. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's more like a, ah, yeah, well, yeah. that explains it. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I do. I do like that they kind of kept that in there for sure. I dig that. It's nice that Hellboy, even though he's super annoyed right now, he manages to go over and comfort Pernilla and is like, hey, you know, it's it's going to be okay. Yeah, he's like, I tried to catch him. There's a lot going on here with the knit of a limb and the Svartovs and the hammer. Trust me when I say I don't want to hurt him. I just want to find him and see if he can help explain it all. No way we're going to do that tonight. We all need sleep. Why don't we get some? And in the morning, I'll tell you both all the crazy stuff that's in my head right now, and we'll go see Professor... Aronson. And then maybe together we can figure out where to start looking for your father. And even the language here where she goes off to go wherever she's going, she slipped away. Oh, yeah. It's very, like, ethereal. Yeah, it describes you like that a lot. Over with Professor Aronson at the university. He's asleep at his desk, and the fireplace pops and hisses. On his desk, he's written and underlined the word Thrym. There is a map there as well, and he had circled a couple places. Dalbard, where the corpse had been found. Another ring of green ink signified the place north of the river where Hellboy had led them to that cave. The third location was marked on the map, this one within Stockholm itself. Carl had calculated the distance and angle and pinpointed that one spot. It seemed impossible and yet eminently reasonable all at the same time. And after what they had discovered in the frozen north... What did it really mean anymore to say something was not possible? And so he's kind of like coming in and out of sleep. He's thinking about this stuff and he's hearing the pops and hissing of the fireplace. But then the hiss does not go away. It was not a hiss, but a slow, deliberate scratching. Carl opened his eyes. Then came another hiss, but it was not from the cinders. Carl turned and then froze, so astonished by the creatures who emerged from the darkness around him that he was unable to utter even a word. Here was yet another miracle. Another myth come true, but these were not dry bones or a tomb devoid of artifacts. They were real, their powder blue eyes bright in the darkness of his study. He stared at them until they tore out his eyes. The last of the embers in the fireplace died with him. Yikes. Big yikes. Uh, big creepy yikes. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of sad to hear that he had died. Yeah. You know, that I, I was kind of bummed out at that because... Um, he was like the one human guy that was kind of like, I'm your buddy. No, I liked him. Yeah, yeah I, liked, I him. liked him in the previous chapter. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, he was really the only regular dude that was on their side. Right. So that's... He was like, oh, you're Hellboy. Yeah, yeah, that sucks. As we open chapter seven, I love this description of Hellboy waking up. Christopher Golden, like, he really captures what it is to, like, not want to wake Aww. up in the morning. Oh, he really does. <laughs> he describes the sunlight as invasive. Right. Which is great. Each time he woke, he crawled away from the windows and hoped that he could sleep a bit longer. But the next time he opened his eyes, he would not feel quite so tired. Aww. I love that description. It's like, ah, uh, I, I totally feel that. He's shifting you know, and, and turning and, yeah. When Hellboy wakes up, he goes to check on the dwarves, but they're not there. 
a few cars pass by and they like swerve as they see Hellboy standing out there. <laughs> Hellboy's like, I can't count on those two. He goes back inside and he sees Pernilla. She's making breakfast, but she's also crying, right? Like she's trying <laughs> to like, I guess, go around her normal routine, but she's also, you know, pretty upset. It would be hard to go back to sleep after your dad was just like, well, yeah, for sure. After all this stuff happened, like Hellboy and Ava are like, yeah. They've seen this shit like uh, they've they've been through all this kind of stuff before, yeah. And they're just like, I need to get some rest. But like, for for a human character to be emotionally involved in all this, I imagine that maybe she didn't get a lot of sleep that night. Yeah, and so she's like you said, she's trying to maintain some sort of normalcy. So she's like, oh, it's. He was like, oh, you don't have to cook for us. And she's like, oh, it's no trouble. You know, hey, so Abe's taking a bath. Why don't you go tell him breakfast is almost ready? So she's trying to, like, get him out of the room. Maybe she can compose herself or something. And Hellboy tries to comfort her, but she waves him away and tells him they'll speak about it over breakfast. There are things you promised to tell us and things you should know as well. Well, that was cryptic, Hellboy thought. And um, there's also kind of a cute moment where Hellboy, he doesn't know how to, like, go into Abe's room and wake him up. It says... Well, he's going into the bathroom. Right. So it's kind of, it's a little awkward. He's like going in there like, hey, man. He didn't want to disturb Abe in the bath, but Hellboy was also in no rush to go back down to the kitchen and be alone with Pernilla again. Uh, there is this nice detail where it says, uh, once upon a time, a bureau parapsychologist he worked with had observed that Hellboy smelled like dry roasted peanuts. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting detail. That's pretty good. Because he's like from hell or something, you know what I mean? Is that why he like kind of has that roasted, Dry roasted smell? Peanuts. It made me think of like Nightcrawler, like he's supposed to smell like sulfur. Oh, when right. he like... Well, I mean, okay, so sulfur is a completely different smell than dry roasted peanuts. Sure. I, I actually like the smell of dry roasted No, it's pleasant. Right. It's pleasant. So that's, yeah, that's, it's nice to, uh, to imagine that. I think that's, that's very maybe, interesting. Maybe the editor was like, hmm. You smell like dry roasted <laughs> <laughs> Well, he says here there's a lot of worse things he could smell like, right? So, sure, yeah. Uh, but he says the description stayed with him. When he needed to shower the way he did now, he always figured he smelled like a whole lot of dry roasted peanuts. <laughs> That's great. Way better than sulfur. Yeah, for sure. For the third time, Hellboy knocked, and then he counts to ten, and then he goes inside there. He looks like the bathroom was empty. But then he sees uh, the water rippling in the tub, and he looks in there and he sees Abe Lane submerged, gills fluttering slightly in the water, a look of peace upon his features. His eyes were closed, and Hellboy wondered if he was asleep in there. Hey, boys, you ever you ever get it to the to the bath to see your bro sleeping in the, in the bathtub, looking at him while he's hanging out in the bathtub? That's just a normal thing bros do all the time. And he's like, "Well, Pernilla had sent me up here." There are several times where he's like. He falls back on, well, she sent, she me, sent up me up here, here. so I got to do it. Well, and so I guess like, you know, if you're if you're hanging out in a military base all the time and you're we're going out on all these, you know, fucking missions constantly and stuff. I mean, I imagine that there would be a lot of just like, hey, man, like yeah. in the, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's probably a lot of moments where it's really no big deal to just kind of be like, hey, you know, we got to go do this thing and you're in various states of undress. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's probably normal at this point. Well, I mean, Hellboy, you know, he just described that Hellboy tapped on the tub gently yeah and all of a sudden right. all like what what is it oh what's going uh, on that's like me i what's always wrong? i always wake up scared <laughs> <laughs> i always wake up you like, do Ugh. yeah i i think the hellboy you know decided to be gently yes but, yeah. but Abe was all still disturbed he's like of course yeah what's going on and he thinks like, that there's trouble he thinks there's something like right. happening when hellboy says that it's time for breakfast <laughs> he's like breakfast you nearly gave me a heart attack don't do that <laughs> with a dry chuckle hellboy headed for the door 
You're just lucky she didn't come looking for you herself. Uh, Next time, lock the door. <laughs> Although, you know, from what we're led to believe, Hellboy knocked once, knocked twice, and then he's all like, knocked third time, no, bam. So even if had he had locked the door, I think Hellboy still would have busted it down just because he's all like, Maybe there's, there's danger. Shit. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there, there've been weird shit going on, yeah. and now you can't get a hold of his best friend. Absolutely. Yeah, for no, sure. you're, you're right, Aubrey. Because there is a point I skipped over it where Hellboy even thinks like the dwarves are gone. Maybe this has something to do with right. Abe too, or something. Yeah, when he's kind of trying to figure out. It's easy what to, to feel do. paranoid in yeah. situations like that for sure. And so it cuts to them eating breakfast. I thought this was interesting. Abe had taken two servings of the sausage and onions, but left the eggs. Pernilla, on the other hand, had had nothing but a slice of thick toast. I think Hellboy And two ate, cups of tea, it And says. two cups of tea, yeah. But the Svardovs and the dwarves, Abe prodded. Nidavalim, Hellboy corrected. They stuck around, made a go of it. Anyway, this guy Thrym was king of the Frost Giants for a while. He learned magic from some of the Nidavalim who knew that kind of thing. Traveled the Nine Worlds, picking up as much arcane knowledge as he could gather. He got pretty powerful, apparently. Of course, he wanted what they all wanted which was to destroy the Aesir. Hellboy also says that the dwarves told him, no one knows exactly who betrayed him, but apparently someone cast a spell on his favorite mug, except they call it a tankard. <laughs> anyway, when Thrym toasted the impending attack on the Aesir and drank, his spirit was ripped from his body and trapped inside that tankard. He didn't die right then, but he had no soul. By the time I... Well, when the Aesir caught up to him, so I think Thor is one of those. Right. So again, he's getting himself mixed up with all this stuff. Also, I just want to say, a uh, tankard uh, is a very specific kind of. So it's not really a mug. It's super specific. It's um, they're made of like all kinds of materials, like uh, like pewter oh, or okay. silver. But sometimes they're made of like wood or like leather, ceramic, and things like that. So kind of like a mug, but like tankard specifically, I feel like. Uh, oftentimes, not always, but but sometimes they have lids on them. Oh, nice! So you know, like, and you can kind of flip it up with your thumb, so it's oh, like attaches okay. to the handle. I know exactly you know what, what you're I mean? talking about. And so it's got like a little thing on yeah. there. So it's kind of it kind of sort of conjures up a a popular image of like ah in the Viking hall we're yeah. just we got back after the fight and we're I know celebrating exactly our, with now, our yeah. ale. So it's very it's kind of a more specific drinking implement. Than a mug. Hellboy says, by the time I, well, when the Aesir caught up to him to punish him for his plotting, he was killed pretty easily. That was that flashback yeah. where Thor found him and he just like cracked his head open. They buried his body on Midgard. World is that the tankard of Thrym was buried far away from his corpse in a secret chamber somewhere. So now it's starting to come together. Yeah. You know, that's where that cave it's was another... where somebody had broken into. Yeah. I also like, I, I also like all the different, ah, uh, the the Warhammer of Thor, the Tankard of Thrym, like the, all these super cool, like yeah. weird yeah. objects and stuff that we'll have to go hunt down and, and figure out what's going on with them and everything. That's fun. So your bodyguards told you all this, eh, Bass? Most of it, Hellboy replied, but he did not elaborate. And now they're gone? Yep. Maybe I wasn't paying attention, but I think I missed something. What does any of this have to do with the hammer or the body or the empty cave we found? At Abe's words, Pernilla hugged herself as though she was cold. Hellboy shrugged. The dwarves. Nidavalim, Abe corrected. Uh. I love that moment because first <laughs> Hellboy corrects Abe uh. and then Abe corrects Hellboy. That's cute. That's great. And so Pernilla explains that she thinks 
her father found that tankard. He had returned from a dig in the north and wouldn't share many details. He said that he had recovered an artifact that would have an enormous impact. After some awkwardness, Pernilla realizes that Hellboy kind of expects it because her father betrayed him before, and they decide to go to the university to meet with Aronson. So Pernilla drives them. They didn't find anything about Thrym in Aikman's papers, just something from a book. According to legend, anyone who drank from the tankard of Thrym would be gifted with extraordinary power, instilled with the strength of the Frost King. Considering what happened to Thrym when he drank from it, Hellboy thought anyone would have to be pretty dumb to fall for that one, but he didn't say that aloud. <laughs> of course, the legend did not match up with what Brock and Eitri had told him. They hadn't said someone had the power of Thrym. They said Thrym was back. Big difference. Nice. And when they get to the university, of course, they find all the police. The area is cordoned off. This is bad, Hellboy says. Pernilla fears that the professor is dead, and Abe assures her that her dad is probably still okay. That's not what I'm afraid of, she says. And Hellboy realizes she thinks her dad had something to do with it. And then so they meet up with Clar, that official, the cranky ah, guy from man. earlier. And I love this. Um, this Hellboy thought the severe government man had cut his blonde hair even shorter. There was yeah. no exchange of pleasantries, not even a hello, as the man gazed sternly at them. Who is your companion? What a greeting. Right. Clara's immediately suspicious of them being with Pernilla, and she deals with them. I like this because it says like she has experience dealing with these kind of people, and yeah. so she says that her father's ill, and she's there to meet with Aronson. And then Clara's like, well, where were you all last night? So he's starting, and Hellboy's like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> And then I love this moment where Abe is like, he gives him the whole like, well, I'm cold and I don't want to be here. And we're supposed to be helping you. And if you don't want us to be here, then we can go home. You know what I mean? Like, we don't have to be here to help. So that kind of uh, works on Clar and he lets them into the office to investigate. Hellboy gives Abe a none too subtle thumbs up. Nice. Yeah, that's good. Well, it's, it's one of those things where he's trying to be like, I'm the boss of you. And Abe is like, actually, no. Right. So if you want our help, you need to chill the fuck out, which is great. The scene is pretty grisly. There's blood splattered everywhere, and the body appears to be mangled. Clar says whoever killed the professor also took whatever he was working on. Hellboy asks if Clar's team learned anything about the body, but it doesn't seem like they did other than its unusual size. Also, like, sorry, I just, uh, it says here, uh, this just little details, Aubrey, you were talking about how well Christopher Golden is able to concisely, Yeah. he, he, he very concisely is able to communicate and get across exactly all the details and, and sort of furnish this whole world and at the same time keep the action moving, which I totally agree with. I think that was an awesome observation that you made. Uh, and mm -hmm. kind of just continuing on that, here is uh, Hellboy uh, steps towards the desk, careful not to trammel upon the bloodstains on the floor. He's not being careful not to step on them. It's trammel because he has fucking hooves. Oh, okay, it's just yeah. interesting. <laughs> this, the word yeah. choice there was just very... I enjoyed that. Just the little things. Yeah. Oh, and they also mentioned that the body didn't seem like it was more than a century old. I guess because it was frozen, it had been preserved or something. So they didn't really learn mm. anything about the remains of Thor or whatever, right? Oh, for Christ's sakes, Hellboy muttered. Well, we're not at a total dead end, Abe observed. I mean, we can always go back up and take more pictures. And there's this. And he reaches inside, and he's got the chain the whole time. He's been wearing it. <laughs> Hellboy's surprised that he's wearing that serpent pendant that they found 
on the ancient remains. Abe says the professor told him to hold on to it until they could test it. Well, Hellboy's not the only one who was surprised. I was surprised. Hey, why are you wearing that? Are you well, wearing well, that? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, Aubrey. It's a reveal to all of us. Yeah. So I think that's interesting in like, We've been wondering this whole time why Abe is so cold all the time and all this kind of stuff. And so, again, the the way that they incorporate the reveals of all this information is, like, really nice. The story kind of unfolds by itself. And Clara's like, both of which are property of the Swedish government. Man, we know it's the property, dude. You're, you're going to get it back. Right. Oh, that's good. Just relax. It's fused to his hand. He's chronically <laughs> incapable of relaxing. <laughs> and so they're all like, they look to Hellboy like, oh, you got a sense of that cave. Do you know where we should start looking? Look for what, Clara asks. So he starts getting really suspicious. He knows they're hiding something from him. You want to know what we're looking for? Hellboy says. I insist, Clara replied. His killers. You know who they are? Clara sputtered in disbelief. Tell me and we will find them. Maybe you should leave it to us, Hellboy suggested. Clara sneered at them. You will cooperate. Hellboy glanced at Pernilla. Miss Eichmann, you want to tell him? Without any trace of amusement, she looked directly at Clar. They're Svartovs, sir. Mm. <laughs> A myriad of emotions warned upon the man's face in that moment. Ward, he- which is an important word here, which I think is amazingly... Yeah. yeah. Professor Arnson was murdered by elves. Well, they're evil, if that makes any difference, Abe offered. And they have swords, Hellboy added. <laughs> And so Clara's like, okay, well, stay out of my way. If you have any other information, you have my phone. Otherwise, you will not leave the country with those artifacts. Hellboy turned his back on Clara. Wouldn't dream of it. This guy. Man, he's got, he's got like a hard on for those artifacts. <laughs> <laughs> on chapter eight, as they leave, they go out to the car. And Hellboy sees two huge ravens circling above him well he heard them first he hears them and then he looks up and he sees them they're saying hey what are you looking at those ravens right and we're uh, i mean come on we're immediately like ah it's you moon in hey that's something we need to know how to pronounce too okay is it hunan and moonin but right. i do know that that's who those ravens are they're they're hanging out because they're looking at what's going on odin Sends them out to go bring him the, the news every day. He's like, what's going on? You guys tell me. And exactly. they're like, here we go. We're telling you. And Hunan means thought and Munin means memory or mind. Yeah, Hunan and Munin. That's fun. Abe doesn't see them though. And Pernilla asks to inspect Mjolnir and says it's warmer than she thought it would be. <laughs> and Abe again, he's suddenly very cold He's shivering even though it's a pleasant day outside. And so, again, we get that he's been cold this entire time, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He lives the serpent medallion and says that it's freezing. Hellboy asks for it, and suddenly Abe is no longer cold as soon as he takes it off, right? And at that moment, Hellboy kind of zones out. He sees an unnaturally tall woman in fur and armor holding a spear with an iron tip. Awesome. Hellboy says he knows her. Her long red hair pulled back in a thick braid. And he approaches her. I know you, Hellboy said, as well you should. Mist? I have been called that, she says. In Norse mythology, Mist is a Valkyrie. Mist appears in the Valkyrie list in the Poetic Edda poem, and her name Mist is likely related to the Old Norse Mistir, meaning cloud mist, and that this reminds us of the way in which Valkyries can ride through the air and over water. Nice. Yeah, I, this is super dope. I mean, I don't know who else is hearing, is reading this and hearing in their head like kind of an 
ethereal, yeah. like multi-tonal. I've got a lot of effects on this, right, in my head Oh yeah. when she's talking. It's almost like an otherworldly, other-dimensional type of happening where he enters like almost a different sub-realm while this is going on. And the illustration by Mignola Amazing. is so awesome. I love that. Kind of an unusual image. I don't know if, if we see Mignola draw. Very striking. Yeah. It's like, it's one of those things where I'm just like, ah, oh, that is so satisfying to yeah. see his take on that. It really is. Hellboy says, I cannot accompany you. You are already with us, she says. This bit of you is only an echo. The clang of the hammer, perhaps. But I will collect even that when the time comes. Then why appear now, Hellboy asks. She gestured to the pendant around his neck. When you claim the death gift Eitri made for you, it brought me. Now I wait. Eitri, Hellboy thought. Gonna have a few questions for that stumpy little monkey when I catch up with him. So you just hang around waiting, I guess? We can't expect any help from you? A flicker of smile appeared at the edge of her lips and she seemed to be swallowed further by the shadows. I am simply a servant and not given to idle gossip. You know who to ask if you wish to know what is whispered beneath the branches of the ash. Nice. Oh, I just want to point out that uh, Yggdrasil, the world tree, is supposedly an ash tree. Oh, okay. So that's what she's referring to, and that's why it's capitalized. Oh, nice. It's it's not just any ash tree, it's the ash tree. Thanks for mentioning that. Sure. But no, so that that one little scene there, you know, I'd been reading the story like, oh, this is a fun little jaunty story. Whoa. And that was my, oh, fuck, I'm so glad I'm reading this moment of like, not that the rest of it isn't good. This is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great read, but it's, this is my shit. Like, I'm very into this. So I was, I was very captivated by this scene. I thought it was so well written and um, I got really excited there. I was like, oh, what else are we going to, yeah. So it got me really excited for, um, to keep going and to figure out. So I, I like the way that these moments are kind of staggered. Throughout the book, there's kind of like, ah, oh, and we're going on, and oh shit, something really fucking cool happens, and now oh, we're going a little right. bit. His pacing is is excellent. And so all of a sudden, Abe is there, and he's like, hey, are you okay? You know, maybe we need to call Dr. Manning or something. I guess you didn't see her, Hellboy says. See who, Abe asked. Hellboy, I'm serious. I'm very concerned here. <laughs> Hellboy nodded. Me too. Then he gazed up into the trees. Ratatos, where are you, Yay! my old friend? So he's like, Abe's very concerned, and then Hellboy's like talking to a tree or whatever. He's, but he, he it's like he's saying, "Yeah, I'm can." Ratatos, where are you, my old friend? Very, <laughs> I mean, it's like you said, it's very. Right when Abe is saying he's concerned, Hellboy does something that would be very concerning, I think, and yeah. so. But it's interesting that you know we've been talking about how um, he's going in and out of like being Thor almost, and here's I think one of those things that. This, that's a very Thor thing to say, isn't it? Looking up in the trees. Oh, and... yeah, yeah. But then he appears and they do see him. Yeah. Abe and Pernilla see the squirrel yes. and they can tell that it's talking to Hellboy. So I like that, that they see that he's not totally losing his mind. Like, no, he, there yeah. is something that's happening. So why does Ratatosk actually appear to them when uh, everything else they can't really see? I guess they saw the dwarves too. Yeah. It's I think, just missed that they didn't see. Right. I think that that kind of in and out sort of here and there quality is lending itself a little bit more to the, the real ethereal nature of this story. I really do like that he kind of pops out right when he says that and kind of comes down and they can tell he's talking to him but they can't understand what they're saying so it's kind of a half in half out sort of thing yeah exactly i do like that ratatas says the age of thrym is about to begin again in an ancient tongue that hellboy did not know but nevertheless interpreted what the hell yeah (laughs) yeah they're like uh okay hellboy says did you understand him and abe's like no but i can tell he's talking to you i didn't even expect you to be able to see him so hey (laughs) 
And so Ratatosk is like, I have appointments to keep. You didn't answer my other question because Hellboy's like, where is the one that has the essence of Thrym? And, right. you know, where do we find him? He's like, look, I have stuff to do. Yeah. I also like this little uh, illustration of Ratatosk. Yeah, super Mignola cute. In the picture. It's pretty cool. I do like that. And it, like, it looks like a squirrel, but it also looks like a magical squirrel. It looks like a super smart squirrel. Yeah. yeah. That has appointments to keep. And we all know squirrels are already smart, so. For sure. <laughs> and Ratatosk responds... Where the children of Dane and Dvalin tramp upon his face, there were Thrym's bones interred. Find the body and you will find the soul. And with that, Ratatosk was gone. And so Hellboy somehow remembers these names a little bit, but he also gets really pissed again. Here his emotions kind of take control, and he like swings Mjolnir at the tree where Ratatosk was. The trunk split as though struck by lightning, and a huge portion of the tree cracked off and crashed to the ground. Hellboy glanced around to see if anyone was coming and found Abe and Pernilla staring at him in surprise. There was genuine fear on the young woman's face and grave concern on Abe's. Jeez, Abe, Hellboy said. What the heck's happening to me? I did want to talk about, in Norse mythology, there are four stags or hearts, male red deer, that eat among the branches of the world tree, Yggdrasil. According to the poetic Edda, the stags crane their necks upward to chomp at the branches. Their names are given as Dane, Dvalin, Dunir, and Durafor. I'm probably saying those wrong. I could use uh, Willem's help here. An amount of speculation exists regarding the deer and their potential symbolic value. It's dawning on me just how much Tolkien borrowed from these languages when he, uh, I see all this like Durathor and all this sort oh, of yeah, thing. It's yeah. like, man, okay. this guy really borrowed a lot from this. So, so Danielle, thank you. I was also thinking the Tolkien borrowed from these guys. <laughs> I mean, obviously, he, did, he put a lot of work into like creating languages, which is very impressive and and it's very difficult to do and so i mean like his mastery of language is very impressive and the fact that he managed to do all that and create but um but, but it's, it's also, the influences are kind of you know kind of coming out here it's interesting but he, but he also did want to um his story was supposed to be like a, a mythology for england or something so it is sure yeah it is also nice, you know, see that, you know, he is pulling from these other influences yeah, as well. Neat. Yeah, no, well, that's interesting to mention because we've talked about so much about how this amazing universe that Mignola has created in his books. And he's borrowing from, like, all the mythologies, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're all together in this big like, kind of pot, all, you know, mixing up together like we were talking about earlier. So that's how you can create something we've we've actually compared mignola to tolkien sure um in terms mm -hmm. of the the universe that they've created and it's kind of a rediscovering or reimagining or a yeah. you know he, he takes this from that and then he kind of stitches it together in this way and like i said i'm not trying to um downplay at all like the amount of skill and the work that it takes to create languages and things like that and to kind of get hints here and there of where the uh, inspirations might have come from is, is super interesting. Yeah, and uh, so when Hellboy says, what the heck's happening to me? Abe says, I don't know for sure, but something tells me the sooner we get that thing out of your hand, the better. And Pernilla asks him about the squirrel. Did you really understand it? And Hellboy explains what they said and if it means anything to her. And then shows she explains what I just explained about the four stags or the hearts. And then you explain what she explained when she, you were explaining. <laughs> so, uh, somebody explain that to me. <laughs> <laughs> then Abe is like, oh, hearts? And it's here it's spelled like a heart that like pumps oh, blood yeah. or a, a heart like a shape. 
And then she says it again, hearts the deer, and it's spelled like that. And so I think that's that's really interesting the way that it, that he does that there. He's like, I always forget about the heart, but I remember <laughs> Doe from the song. And then they even talk about the She's song. She's like, oh, what of- song? is like, oh, Doe, a deer, female deer. Kind of a little <laughs> bit of me- uh, offering a little bit of melody in the delivery. Like, this is a cute little, you know, you got to throw these little moments in there. Right. That's neat. And so Hellboy's like, where are we going to find these? You know, do you have a, a zoo here? <laughs> and she's like, oh, well, there's one in Copenhagen. Uh, and then there's another mention here where Abe is like... But I like the, the way that she says she's like, oh, zoo? Uh, confounded by the change in topic. Right. <laughs> uh, well, not like the one in Copenhagen. If you really want to see a zoo and everyone's like, no, 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 that's not... <laughs> we're not looking for a super good zoo. We're like looking for these these guys, you know? And there's this moment where Abe is like, good. Because I remember the last time we went to a zoo in Copenhagen... The necromancer and that thing with the penguin heads. I'll die happy <laughs> if I never have to go back there again. We're not going to the zoo, he says. He's like so mad now. But I tried to look for that, a monster with penguin heads. Oh, right. And all I could find was um, there is a cryptid that's a giant penguin, <laughs> like a man-sized penguin. Wow. That is like a like a Bigfoot type thing. Aww. Um, but I couldn't find like a monster with a penguin head. So, I, I want to see and, a giant penguin cryptid. And, and there are also, I, I think that there are also fossils of like giant penguins that might have existed in like prehistoric For times. sure, yeah. Well, there's, yeah, so it, I'm actually, I actually am fascinated with megafauna. I mean, obviously these are uh, mythological beings that do not fall under the category of any kind of fauna. But um, it's actually pretty interesting to read about megafauna. And like, you know, moose okay. would count as that. They are much bigger than people think if those people do not live anywhere where moose live. So you and I, like, we don't have moose wandering around, but someone, you know, who lives with moose in the area would be like, hey, yeah, they're actually way bigger than you think. No, right. even bigger than that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so, it's it's interesting to kind of, so yeah, just give that a googs. Give it a googs and see all the cool stuff. And when Abe mentions that penguin head monster, we're not going to the zoo, Hellboy snaps. <laughs> he's so mad. And then he's like, I could use a beer. Or apparently a cup of mead, Abe responds dryly. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> the, the little dig right there, because he called him the god of thunder earlier yeah. and stuff like that. I like that, that Abe is kind of teasing him a little bit. Throw a little jab in there every once in a while. And he's he catches on to it. And he's like, yeah, okay, sorry. Well, I just want to say, like, look, if we want to find deer in Stockholm, where do we go? Right. Why would there be deer to zoo? Like, why would know. they be <laughs> there? Know. You know, like, that seems... Anyway. But probably like an important forest, I think, would be the first thing you would ask for, right? Like, hey, are there any super important forests that maybe have, I don't know, gossip and fairy tales surrounding it, perhaps? Right. I mean, but who's going to be able to answer, yeah, I know that forest. I mean, if you ask me that, I'll be like... She's a folklorist. (laughs) She's literally a folklorist. I'll I'll, I'll take you to Memorial Park. (laughs) Yeah, no, I would be like, hey, so you are a folklorist of uh, literally this whole area. Are there I, any I, forests that have like any like you know rumors th- of I, that are rumored to be magic? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't even know any folklorist. <laughs> In this next part, we go over to Jurgen. Thank you for that. And so we cut over to Jurgen. This is an island in central Stockholm, Sweden. It's home to historical buildings and monuments, museums, galleries, an amusement park, an open-air museum, a small residential area, yacht harbors, and extensive stretches of forests and meadows. Nice, nice. So it does kind of... Again, I wonder if Christopher Golden's been to this area, because he knows a lot... Or maybe that's just a sign of a good 
um, writer that they really research into these areas and what they're like because right. it does seem like it's like <laughs> a, a tourist attraction type of place, but then it does lead off into these. You I know, mean. I don't know if you're a writer, if you're like, hey, so I need to do some research for this thing I'm writing. Uh, I'm going to need some plane tickets and a hotel right. <laughs> in the most beautiful place uh, ever described. So let me just go hang out in a super pretty area for a long time. I don't know. That, that would be super cool. Um, but yeah, so this definitely sounds like a magical forest for yeah. sure. And there's this one detail where they spoke to Clar to have him see to their bags until they returned. Hellboy would have gone to speak to the man, but he was afraid he might crush the little fascist skull with Mjolnir. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and as they're driving, it says uh, Pranilla turned on the radio for a while. It didn't bother Hellboy at all, but there was only so much Swedish pop Abe could put up with. And all I thought uh. of was the sounds. Nice, nice. Like, can you imagine them being in the car and... It sounds sound- like great, <laughs> yeah. I listened to them for a long time. Okay, so I love the sounds, but I was thinking of like ABBA. <laughs> okay, right on. I don't think it's the sounds of Swedish pop. I mean, maybe they are, but maybe I'm just an old man. I don't know. I just I just got in my head like a juxtaposition of all them crammed into this car. Yeah, that'd be great. And then like something from the dying sounds, to say yeah. this to you. What like, would plain. you? What What would the song be? I was thinking. We're uh, not living in America. That's a good one. I was thinking. Uh, don't wanna hurt you. Uh, <laughs> See, but this is 2001, so uh, I'm trying to think what uh, album. What was, had already uh, been released? What had been okay. out at that time? Anyway, we're Nerds. going on a sidetrack here. Also, right. there's 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 quite a bit of uh, of a uh, very good metal coming out of this area, is there not? So sure, but it says Swedish pop. No, I know. I mean, it's, you know, if you want to change the channel. Oh yeah, you could do that. <laughs> Although poor uh, Abe is probably his, their nerves are fried, they're not going to listen to that. But Abe's more of a sad sting. He sure is. Uh, fan. <laughs> sure is. Although, although all you guys listening, the sounds check them out. Oh yeah, they're super good. Them. Yeah, great. Or if you are in Sweden and you're in a band, a local band there, let us know. Oh. We want to hear your music. We want. It doesn't oh, yeah. matter what kind of music it is. We'll listen to it. Everybody in Sweden, let us know what to listen to. Everybody outside of Sweden, check out the sounds. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As they go into this forest with beautiful ancient oaks, Hellboy says, If I was going to bury the corpse of a giant frost monster, this is where I'd do it. He said archly as he gazed out the window. Yeah. I like describing someone as having said something archly. That's great. And uh, Hellboy starts having more of these flashes of memory as they're going in there. Pernilla talks about, uh, yeah, because this is uh, Midgard, the human realm, right? Earth. They call it the dumping ground. Right. Landfill of the gods. Yikes. Pernilla begins to slow. What's wrong, Abe asks? I'm just not sure where to go from here. There I just don't know s- what we're doing, yeah. There are several places where we are more likely to find deer than others, but how do we know where to look? We could wander until nightfall and only have begun to search. Abe sat forward and peered around the seat at Hellboy. Anything? Feeling foolish and self-conscious, Hellboy closed his eyes. I love that description because they're yeah. like, tell us where to go. And, and he's, he's like, like, I don't know, man. I, don't I got know. a magic hammer fused to my magic hand. I don't know, man. But then he opens his eyes and he sees the ravens. Yay, Hunan and Moonin. Yeah. So he's like, that way. You sure? No. <laughs> I love that. That was great. I do want to know how to pronounce their names, though. I am interested in knowing how to pronounce that. Like, reading it. You hear it a certain way in your head, but then when it comes time to actually say the, those words, 
You're not really sure like how to say them. Right. It's kind of weird. They drive up to a security gate and Hellboy snaps the chain with a single tug. And as they go in, they find this overgrown area and they see the two ravens on either side of thick tree limbs. Hell yeah. You get this cool illustration here. It's really nice. Yeah. What, Abass? Hellboy shook his head. Nothing. You realize you're completely freaking me out, Abe told him. (laughs) Sorry, Hellboy replied. I just love all these little character moments between them. You realize you are completely freaking me out. It's great. (laughs) The path ended and they kept walking for perhaps an hour. I I like this part because Hellboy is noticing that Mjolnir is kind of acting as a tuning fork. Or he's feeling some kind of frequency that's kind of leading him. Mjolnir. I I bet if we practiced a whole lot, we could do it. But yeah, we haven't had too much practice yet. So please, we do find your pronunciation guide very useful. We appreciate it, but we're going to need a little bit more practice with it. Right. (laughs) 20 minutes after they set off in pursuit of the frequency theory, they find a deer crashing through the woods. Uh. Hellboy only got the vaguest impression, but it thought it had been quite large. And Abe is like, you do realize that is the first deer that we've seen in here. (laughs) Everyone's just like, uh, oh, shit. And then they see more. Its wide black eyes studied them. Then as suddenly as it had stopped, it ran on again. Pernilla asks what they're running from. Hellboy hears a low hum. And as they get closer, he realizes it's chanting. Mjolnir. Oh, okay. Nice. It's like a Mjolnir. Mjolnir seem now to pulse in time with its rhythm. I love that sentence. I just, yeah, uh, again, you know, yeah, it's a good the way one. that Christopher Golden is able to convey these kind of ideas and this kind of ethereal sense is like really interesting. It's and never it, clunky. It's very, yeah. uh, it's very concise and very, um, it immediately puts that image or that feeling into your head or you can almost kind of feel like you're there. The forest seemed to grow darker and they approached some dead trees described in the book as little more than wooden skeletons. Ah, wow. Which I thought was kind of a really cool description, yeah. There was a small clearing ahead, not very large at all, but several dozen Svartovs were gathered there, leaning upon the ground. Within a ring of stones, a fire burned, tendrils of flame licking the air. The sky seemed to darken even further, and Hellboy wondered if that was magic or if the weather had changed, if there was a storm coming in. (laughs) At the opposite end of the clearing, beneath the bare branches of the dead oak, Edmund Eichmann stood with a tankard of thrym at his feet and a dagger in his hand. The old man seemed more withered than before, as though there was little more to him now than bones and shriveled skin, and yet there was nothing frail about him. His presence was somehow imposing and regal. He stood calm and grave as he drew the blade across his palm, and his blood ran off his skin and splashed the ground. Why is it always in the palm? That seems like like the one of like one of the only places you wouldn't want to cut right. yourself. Like that's like that's a really tough place to heal. You use your hands all the time, sure, like on everything. Yeah. It is always the palm. It's You're just right. like why? It's like I don't know. Cut well, yourself on the I mean, shin, it, on the ankle. Like I don't know. Like why the palm? Well, it bleeds quickly, and you probably won't die from it. Yeah, but it's like you're using your hands all the time. It doesn't close easily. It's something that's yeah. like you know you, you now you cannot use that hand for a while, and it's just like I don't know. Maybe the forearm, right? Like I don't know. It always just strikes me as vaguely, like, weird and dumb. Don't well, do that. The, the, the evil force that's compelling you to do it doesn't care. Sure. It wants to okay. Quickly. So, he, so <laughs> is he being compelled by evil forces here? Well, or is he acting under his own volition? Well, the next sentence says he raised it and tipped it back, drinking his own blood. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> so. There's another great description of Pernilla. Her eyes were rimmed with red and tears streamed down her face. 
her black hair hung down, framing her misery. Oh, wow. And so they're like, oh, we shouldn't have brought her. But how else, you know, could they have found the place without her? Like, I don't want to say I told you so, but your dad sucks. And there is this nice moment where Hellboy feels the guilt and he cups her chin. We need you, he whispered. You and Abe are going to have to get to your father. If he's rational, fine. If not, he'll have to be restrained while we get him out of here. Figure out if he's under Thrym's influence, and if he is, how to help him. While you two are getting to him, I'm going to keep the Svartovs away from you. Hellboy's like, all right, let's hurry before they finish whatever malarkey they're trying to pull off. (laughs) He raised Mjolnir and started around the tree and across the clearing. With alerts, the ground began to shake, a tremor reverberating through the earth beneath him. Hellboy staggered backwards, his hooves punching dirt. Abe and Pernilla held on to one another. An enormous crevasse opened in the center of the clearing. A giant skeletal hand, little more than intricate bone structure and dry flaking strips of flesh thrust from the earth and grasp at the sky. Jeez. A giant skeleton yeah, hand man. coming out of the ground. That is such a great way to end that chapter. Jeez. Oh, yeah. And, and I forgot to mention, you know, we do get a picture of Eichmann here with a knife, yeah, which right, I thought was right. interesting because we don't really get to see a whole lot of him. There was like a frame of his of his glasses earlier and of his hand, but here we kind of get to see what he looks like, which I, I enjoyed. I like to get an impression of what the characters are. Yeah. As chapter nine begins, you know, we're getting into a big action beat. Basically, this whole chapter is one giant action beat, which I thought was really interesting. You know, Golden does an amazing job of conveying all this stuff. And I like this moment where Hellboy's like, seconds. We were late by seconds. They've already kind of summoned this giant out of the ground. And Hellboy starts attacking the Svardovs, and it says that he has the cry of the ancient tongue he didn't even understand. So here again, like, the spirit of Thor, the spirit of of the hammer is kind of, like, taking control of him. There's even this part where it says, Hellboy laughed loudly, triumphantly, a cruel bellow. It embarrassed him, for he had no idea where the laugh had come from. Then a wave of them swept upon him again. In Hellboy's grip, uh, Mjolnir burned enough to sear even the stone-like right hand. Oh, okay. which is very nice. interesting. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, we've talked about where Vril comes into all of this. And I just I, I, I keep wondering, like, if that's the connection here. And we get another great illustration of Hellboy with the hammer. And we also see he's got the serpent oh, yeah. pendant also as he's battling all the weasels. There's a gunshot. And so he knows that that's Abe. And then he hears a voice shout for him. And that wasn't Abe. Hellboy tore the weasel off his face and rose to his feet. Hammer swinging, perhaps three feet away, Eitri stood with a dagger in each hand. As Hellboy caught a sight of him, the knit of a limb with a patch of stubble on his chin stabbed a sword off from behind, even as nice. he lashed out and cut the throat of another. And so Brock is there too, and it seems like there's a couple of them, right? Five other knit of a limb charged into the clearing with swords, double-sided axes, even spears. Hellboy felt a surge of pride within him, a siren song of glory that raced through him like adrenaline. Nice. Destroy them, he roared in the old tongue. Ah, uh, yeah. He's Thor right here. Yeah. And as they're fighting, you know, this giant uh, skeleton is kind of still coming out of the ground. And I like how they describe it like there's like tree, tr- it's bringing up tree trunks with it. And they're yeah. all like stuck in it. And then it's creating like a hole in the ground that everything's getting sucked down into at the yeah. same time, which is really great. This and this illustration is just a little bit bigger than half a page here. It's huge. Yeah. Really neat. The description of this is super creepy. The giant skull is free of the ground. You know, the 
strands of beard were still tethered to it, but otherwise it's all, it's got enormous picket fence teeth and it's yeah. very, you know, so it's, ice starts to form on the skull like a, as like a coating that leaks from the eyes and spread like mercury across the bone and fang. And it hissed, thunderer. Yeah. Its voice, like the outrush of fetid air upon the opening of an ancient crypt. So you talk about good fucking writing. Yeah. This is some oh, good yeah. shit right here. And when he says thunder, Hellboy's like, yeah, I'm here. Mm. <laughs> but I do like this idea that the ice is kind of creating yeah, flesh good. over the skull, over the skeleton. The way he describes it is just like, again, yeah. we talk so much about how something seeming effortless. Obviously, it's not. Obviously, it took a lot of effort to get to the point where you can be good at this skill, which in this case is like writing. But, you know, it's seeming so effortless and seeming so gracefully woven together is... um. It's a joy to read. And as the thing is rising up with these tree trunks around it, Hellboy's grabbing onto the trunks and kind of hanging from it, like trying to climb it. Like, it's so cinematic. Yeah, like I can, yeah. I can see the action unfolding. The corpse of the Frost oh, King yeah. hauls himself up out of the earth, and it's just like, what is happening? What the fuck is happening right here? And 30 feet from Abe, old white-haired Edmund Eichmann held the tankard of Thrym up in both hands and giggled like a child. I like here how uh, Abe feels ridiculous with he's got like a pistol and right. all this like weird magic stuff is happening. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I guess, you know. And Pernilla's like, how is there power left in the remains? Eichmann held the tankard up above his head, staring up at it as if making an offering to his god. Abe realized that in some ways that was exactly what he was doing. The old man didn't even seem to notice how withered he had become, like some pitiful weathered scarecrow. It was as though the tankard was supporting him, as though he dangled from it there in an unnatural wind that swept through the Jurgadin, and without it, he would be blown away like some dried husk of a thing. That's an amazing description yeah. right there, that the tankard yeah. is kind of like holding him up or whatever. Yeah. The tankard's at the center of it, Abe told Pernilla, not to mention that little blood ritual the Svardovs just did. Yeah, so I don't mention I forgot to mention that, so when Eichmann sliced his hand and the blood, all the Dark Elves did it too. Right, yeah. Yeah. And so it's it's a whole thing. As they're trying to go towards Eichmann, then more of those weasels are kind of coming up and attacking them too. They're trying to stop us from reaching Eichmann, Abe thought. And here's where it kind of has that further description. It says, These things weren't weasels. They reminded Abe more of seals with the glistening sheen about them. Yeah, you had mentioned that. Its eyes narrowed and it grinned cruelly and brought the blade down. A spear thrust through its chest from behind, shattering bone and tearing flesh. The sword fell as the sword all dissipated. Behind it stood a dwarf with iron rings in its hair and a deep scar on its face that had left it blind in one white, roomy eye. Thanks, Abe said. So I like that. It's about to come, out, come down on yeah. Abe, and then it gets killed by one of these elves. So they're all kind of helping each other out. But I, uh, we missed part where he's Abe is like trying out the pistol. He's like, hey, what happens if I do this? He... He tries to shoot them. He manages to get them, but then there's another one coming after him. So it's like as oh. many as he can shoot. So he says, hey, I'm, I'm kind of a decent shot. He actually is two for two here. Right. So he's pretty good, but it's still not really, yeah. you know, you really do need like kind of like a sword or something that doesn't run out of, you know, well, ammo that you can just keep fighting them. When they were saying he's kind of a decent shot, I kept thinking about those different scenes we saw of him just 
shoving his gun into the um, different Audrey monsters face and just unloading the trigger. <laughs> oh yeah, he's well, like he figures out how to like, kill the hammerheads. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's all like, "I'm a decent shot." And then the first thing I thought of is him like just yeah. blasting a fucking <laughs> monster. He's <laughs> uh, like, "Yeah, you're way better than Elboy and being a shot." <laughs> yeah, for real. There is precedent for that in the comics. There came a cry of such heart-rending despair that at first Ape thought Pernilla had been killed. When he spun around, he saw that she was uninjured for the moment, but whatever attempts she had made to speak with her father had failed, for she was on the forest floor with the old man grappling with him for the tankard. So she tried to get it, and now he's fighting her. Yeah. Yeah, that sucks. And we cut back to Hellboy fighting Thrym. He's getting more powerful. He's growing horns of ice and all this kind of stuff. Jeez. Hellboy breaks part of Thrym's jaw off. But then it kind of reconstructs with all the ice and everything. And again, there's a lot of this action with Hellboy, like, climbing the trees that are coming out of him. And there's some good Hellboy banter where he's like, you should have stayed dead, old king. <laughs> uh-uh, spanky, he uh... says at one point. I said I'm all out of patience. Yeah, you're sleepwalking out here. And you're not going to get me twice. Time for you to go back to your little eternity dirt nap. (laughs) Or didn't you see the friggin' hammer? Hellboy swung it down and the war hammer struck the precise spot where the roots of the tree met the Frost King's ribcage. There came a series of cracks, one upon the other like cannon fire, as tree trunk and roots and two of Thrym's ribs snapped. The long-dead king of the Frost Giants opened its mouth of swords and uttered a shriek of pain that was like a ghost itself, not a wail so much as the crashing of surf against the shore. Thrym reared back, the ice cracking where it had formed upon its skeletal arms, trying to connect the bones the way tendons and muscles should have. Hellboy finds his gun in the middle of this, and I like this, he's just like, he's he knows it won't do any good, but he's glad he didn't lose it. <laughs> <laughs> and he spots Abe across and realizes that Pernillo's wrestling with her father. The enormous skeleton bent down, bony fingers lunging towards the ground where Pernilla Eichmann grappled with her father. Abe swore loudly and fired several rounds at the giant's face, but the bullet scraped bone and either lodged there or ricocheted. And he talks, the big giant thrim right monster he's like uh you're trying my patience thunderer and thunderer is capitalized so that's pretty cool abe grabber hellboy roared knocking aside one of the spart elves and starting to run across the clearing towards them but he need not have worried abe grabbed hold of pernilla and hauled her to her feet then the two of them dove between two tall lush oaks just as the skeletal fingers of the giant closed around edmund eichmann the old man cackled madly shouting in dutch as he raised the tankard up towards the giant's deadly, jagged maw. Thrym laughed, lifted the shriveled man higher, and shook him with a hideous glee. The tankard falls to the ground and everyone's looking at it, and so Abe's like, hey, Hellboy, gotta go get it, and so no one could even get to it before Thrym uh, steps on it and pushes it into the oh, ground. Oh, right, right. And so then, yeah, this fucked up thing. Yeah, then we get this grisly description where... Thrym raises Eichmann up. He now stared up at the skull of the Frost King and screamed. And as he screamed, his eye exploded, sucked into the waiting maw of the dead giant. Then a stream of snow and sleet poured out of Eichmann's mouth and his vacant eye sockets and his nostrils. It was as though the old man were vomiting ice into the giant's mouth. Okay. 
So it's like taking all of his, I guess he had power from the tankard and then now Thrym is taking that power from him. Right. Yeah. They notice that like the color in the empty eye sockets of, of the giant of the Thrym guy is uh, turned from like yellow to this, it says blinding blue white. Right. Now Thrym boomed. We shall see what my kingdom has become. He dropped Professor Eichmann to the ground and something snapped in the brittle old man as he landed. Pernilla wailed and wept and Abe held her back. Yeah, so they weren't able to save no. him after all that. Thrym laughed again. I did not rise for you, but you stand in my way, so you shall die soon when my kingdom is whole again and my brothers bow before me. And Hellboy's like, let's do this now, you know, come <laughs> and get it. But Thrym turned and lurched through the trees where he was moving slowly before. Now he was swift. And so he gets away from them. Hellboy turned and stared across the clearing again. Some of the Nidavalim still lived, but he could not see if Brock or Eitri were among them. The Swardovs were gone, having scattered into the forest in pursuit of their master. On the other side of the massive grave, amidst the scattering of fallen ice shavings that lay across the ground like snow, Abe stood with one hand on Pernilla Eichmann's shoulder, where she knelt by the broken form of her father and cried. Mjolnir felt heavy in Hellboy's grip as though it longed to destroy something, to shatter bone and crush skull. All right, Hellboy growled. Now I'm really ticked. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, so that was like almost the climax of the of the thing, you know what I mean? If Thrym hadn't gotten away, I could see like that being the final showdown, but it kind of... It makes me wonder like, hey, what else is left in this book? I know, right? Like, it's kind of like, yeah, so we know that it's there's going to... be pretty quick. But he's uh, he's definitely grown in power now, so there's going to e be even like a bigger battle. Like that one was already difficult. It's hard to imagine like what could come next yeah. or how they're able... And then like, was the tankard left there? Mm. It's in the ground, right? Yeah, it got s squished into the dirt or something. Yeah, so I don't know if like maybe they can still use that or like what recourse they have left. I don't know, to yeah. Kind that of, struck like... me as kind of like we're done with that now, but who knows, maybe they'll be able to use that for yeah. some sort of uh, magic yeah, no, thing. I, I, I took it as that they were done with it as well. So, yeah, who knows? I mean, yeah, it's possible that they could be like, hey, maybe if we use this to do something... Some magic will happen, right. so who knows? It's interesting that, you know, you know, we're, we started off with some very vague, hey, maybe there's magic, too. Like, there's definitely a lot of magic. It's a oh, lot yeah. of it now. and But it's been very, we've kind of been eased into it gradually. Uh, you know, this happened and then that happened, and then it's getting more and more intense. And so as soon as they get into the forest, it gets super intense. Yeah. Which um, I, I really like that. Like, as soon as they get into... The forest it's kind of like this ultra magical realm and so i'll be really uh i'm curious to see like how they're gonna ramp it up from here because this seems like you said this is like yeah. it's pretty intense already and i like this um you know when the weasels kept showing up i was like oh they're gonna keep doing the weasels but i i do like it because it's almost like there's the dwarves yeah and there's the dark elves and the Dark Elves are with the Frost Giants and the Dwarves are with Hellboy. And I kind of like how there's like yeah. these... We talked about that before. You need little, you know, you need yeah. little factions of guys. You need little henchmen. You need little yeah. helpers. You need yeah. little, all, all kinds of different people, whole cast of... It's just kind of, it's kind of boring if it's like... And then these three people kept doing stuff and now you have to pay attention to them the whole time. And you're like, no, I want to see a whole right. world built up. And so it's, it's great that they've incorporated so much of, you know, because this is all... It's all in there. I mean, you can, <laughs> this is already a thing, but to yeah. incorporate all of that into the story, um, it's interesting. It's cool. And before, like earlier, when I read this before, I didn't really catch on that. 
I was like, oh, I thought that that was a throwaway line that Hellboy just called them weasels. But they like they he keeps referring to them yeah. as weasels. So I guess they have a weasel like appearance. Yeah. So that, I didn't catch that the first time. So that's I, cool. I, I almost I picture think, them yeah. with like I almost picture them as like giant ferret Interesting. men, yeah. ferret elves. Yeah. Or whatever, so, something like that. So yeah, so that's why it's a book club. Aubrey Aubrey pointed something out that I hadn't that I hadn't caught. That's why it's a book club friendship. And and, uh, <laughs> and just like they they kept talking about how Abe was cold, and then in these chapters it kind of paid off with us finding out why. I wonder why they keep describing Pernilla as this ghost. Absolutely, yeah. Is something going to follow through with that? Once you know that you're reading an author that knows how to do foreshadowing, you're like, well, wait, what else? Wait, hold on. Let me go back and reevaluate and reexamine everything I've been reading. And they talked about like being a sensitive and all this kind of stuff. So like, does she have ghost powers or is she going to like? For sure. I don't know. Something. 100% ghost powers. What do you think about that, Aubrey? I actually had not thought about that particular aspect of it. To be honest, I mean, um, these uh, next few chapters of the book, while it's very enjoyable, I just felt like it was just moving the story along. And then it was nice, a nice little payoff at the last chapter, you know, so, you know, some little action and all that. But right on. I'm really excited to see where we go from here. But the whole time I'm, you know, enjoying the story, I kept thinking, why didn't they dab this for the last Hellboy movie? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is like a nice, concise story. You get Hellboy, you get his partner. I think because, and I I understand, I think because a lot of it is literally Norse mythology. Mm. A lot of it is. But but it's so good. Everybody's already experienced it. No, I get it. I agree. It is good, and I am enjoying it. I do not think that one comic book company could make a movie involving uh, heroes such as Thor while there is a multi-billionaire company saying, hey, we're making all of these movies right mm, now. Right. I don't yep. know how okay, well but, that would have gone. But, okay, but, but it's, not, <laughs> it's not Dark Horse making the film. It's Lionsgate. And Lionsgate sure. is owned by like Warner Brothers, I think. Absolutely. Or something like that. Absolutely. So, or maybe they're owned by a different company. But I mean, they have the money to take on Disney when it comes to, mm. you know... Uh, I don't think anyone in the world has that much money. (laughs) What I'm saying is I just I don't even know if it would be a matter of money or if it would be a contentious like copyright thing at all. I'm just saying I feel like there would be executive producers in the room like didn't they already do like a Thor movie or something like I thought I saw a Thor movie already. They already did that shit. We can't be doing I feel like that would be an executive producer guy going like nah we can't be doing that shit. That's played out. You know what I mean? Like obviously it's not like this is very fascinating and interesting and they do a really good job with it. I think it would be really really cool but I feel like that might not be something you could get past the the money bad guys. You know what I mean? Well, you do bring up a real good point because they did bring they did have Thor: The Dark Elves, and that movie was right uh, underwhelming. But um, but this, I like this that would have been a good. Uh, don't get me wrong. I like the movie it's different. too, but They're, it was underwhelming. You and I know, that. Aubrey. You and I know that this is a very different story, obviously. But I don't think that the people in charge of these decisions think that way <laughs> necessarily. Right. They They're not really thinking don't. creatively. They're thinking like, how can we sell this movie to all these dumb people to come see the movie? You know, like I feel like they're just thinking about it. In terms of yeah. like, how are we going to sell this movie? And I think anyway, that something like that would be a little bit harder to sell. I don't know. Better, this would have been a better sell than what they gave us, though. I don't know. I honestly think not trying to cram absolutely fucking everything into one movie. They have a lot of cool stories, as it is just, just from straight-up Hellboy universe without the Thor thing. Like, they have yeah. a lot of cool stuff. Well, they I'm tried to cram in I'm, absolutely all everything. Saying, all I'm saying, this would have been a better movie than what they gave us. 
that it would have been a cool movie to see. I just feel like if they had separated a lot of the concepts that went into that movie into different movies and you know done it ju- like that i feel like that would have been mm-hmm. a little bit let it breathe a little bit like of the concepts like the blood queen that's a super cool concept all by itself and then you know bprd like they have a lot of cool stories there like they tried to kind of cram a lot into it and mm-hmm. so i think i feel like that's mm-hmm. that would be my main argument of like hey spread this out a little bit just because it's a little much for one movie to really do it justice, I guess. I don't know. That's my main thing with that. But yeah, for this, I'm not arguing it's not a good story at all. I think it's a great story. I would love to see some adaptation of that, but I feel like, you know, that that probably wasn't high on the list just because of, mm. hey, we got a, a, you know, a cinematic powerhouse already doing a bunch of Thor movies. We might as well not try to compete with that. Sure, per- maybe. Yeah. I don't know. No, That's just I mean, kind of my... The thing is, is I feel like these, these bozos probably didn't know that the story existed and they would have been all like, oh shit, there's a Thor story? We could have definitely jumped on that bandwagon. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah I, no, I, I, did, I did also really like that um, that scene with the Valkyrie. It was so out of time and out of... It was just really ethereal and super cool. It, it does seem like Hellboy is losing, like, yeah. quote-unquote, losing it more and more as the chapters are going along, you know? As he's fighting, yeah. he's, like, speech- speaking in the ancient tongue and all this kind of stuff, and so the Frost Giant is calling him Thunderer. So I think, like, the line is starting to blur more and more as we go on. So I do like that. That scene in particular really uh, had an impact on me. I was very like, ugh. And I wonder if now that Pernilla lost her dad, is she going to have now uh, a motivation? Like, now she's going to be like... She's going to come into her own to kind of, I don't know, something. That is the typical comic book thing. They did. They did hint at that because they brought up the whole fact that, like, you know, she wanted to be her own thing, but her dad was just like, "No, you got to help me with my research." But she just ended up being his glorified research assistant. Yeah, you are right. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be uh, interested to see what they do with that character. Awesome, awesome. Well, I can't wait to listen to all the feedback from our listeners and hopefully some more pronunciation tips. Yeah, thank you so much for that. That was that was very touching. Yeah. yeah, thank you. We'll be back with another great episode next week, and now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. That was some fun stories to be listening to. Why don't you share us your thoughts by sending us a hey you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com and you can follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Facebook About section and our Podbean website. And as always, you can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. As always, a special thank you to Paul from Garterhorn for the theme music. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Mark, for helping us with the reading list and being an all-around good resources for everything that John needs. <laughs> and thank you, John, for fucking making us sound like rock stars. Thank you, Danielle, for being Danielle. <laughs> uh, next week, we are continuing Hellboy, The Bones of Giants, in reading chapters 10 through 13. So... You know what to do. Keep that book out. Pull out that bookmark and pull out the Hoopla app or the Audible app. And join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm a made-up name, so I'm just doing my best. And I'm Aubrey Lovis saying, let's hurry before they finish whatever malarkey they're trying to pull now. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Bones of Giants. Bones of Giants. Bones of Giants.